Ready, Dave? This is Jordan and Dave Fox, fake name. And we are here to pick up the pieces on our Lincoln extravaganza. This is a little unusual, though I guess we haven't established too much of a pattern yet because it's so early in the podcast. Yeah. So it's not too unusual. But we spent the last episode last week talking all about Lincoln in a general sense. And as a concept, as a concept and, uh, and Anna Ng, because it's such a huge song. And I also just wanted to touch on just the, the, the reoccurring thing for a lot of, they might be giants albums, definitely not all of them, but at this time, you know, opening the album more or less, uh, barring like a kind of a silly track one that, you know, was quick, mm-hmm. but opening an album with the huge <laughs> Linnell single that is like this classic song that resonates for everyone and uh what what do you think about that dave do you think flansburg uh, gets gets a little jelly i know flansburg constantly says how like linnell is his musical hero mm-hmm. yeah i mean god what would you do if you were in a band with <laughs> john i don't Linnell, know like, take track one sir all yours i'm really curious about how they sequence albums and for example yeah. if there's too many good linnell ones in a row yeah. do you put a flans in there just for variety i was going to touch on this later when we get to like side two of, of lincoln <laughs> but there is it is interesting because you know you'd have to think that they had stockpiled a bunch of linnell's singles practically right by the time the recording for lincoln happened uh, but you can't just do that because it's a democratic band. It's both. It's both of them. Yeah. So and it's not. And again, man, Flansburg songs are, are are fantastic. But it's like you're. It's just that you're when you're. It's like Anna Ng, and then <laughs> it's like hard to to follow up. I mean, some of Flansburg songs maybe in a in like Deep in My Soul are like favorites more than and more than the the form formal beautiful Linnell songs that are you know the huge hits. Um, uh, you know, I'll get to that later. If there's a song coming up, that's one of my all time favorite songs of theirs. That's a Flansburg song. I bet I could guess. Yeah, you can probably guess, but, um, I'm not very surprising. Yeah. Just, just opening with Anna Ng and then this started a little trend, I think for a while with then birdhouse and then I pound or am I, I know dig my grave is first, but that's sort of like an intro, you know, that's like an appetizer. Yeah. And then it kind of stops for a while, I think, uh, that kind of that kind of thing. But it was interesting that this kept happening. <laughs> but anyway, so we're going to dive right into Lincoln here. We don't have any... Right unless, in. Unless Dave has a retraction. <laughs> I think there's enough of those There's enough now. going around. So track two. Cowtown. Dave, what's going on in your brain about Cowtown? I know this isn't one of the quote-unquote hit singles of They Might Be Giants' career, but this is a great fucking song. This is a... Yeah. It's extremely melodic. It's extremely complicated. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of counter melodies in it. 
Yeah. Uh, it's a great live song where the audience sings along. I thought you were going to say whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing about the song early on was you <laughs> pointed out how it sounds like they're saying, fuck you, asshole. You know that I, I wrote that down to talk about. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Dave's way ahead of me. I was going to sh- surprise him with this. Okay, so. There, you can't surprise me because I hear it every time for the rest of my life. I know. Now. Me too. Okay. Well, hey, everyone. Look you could skip way. ahead if if yeah, <laughs> you could skip ahead if you don't want the song ruined for you. But yeah, starting now. But there's a segment in Cowtown <laughs> that's an instrumental break, and for a while, me and a few people online were absolutely convinced that there is a voice saying "fuck you, asshole." Yeah, not <laughs> in a this instrumental for kids. section. So I'm gonna play a clip, and I'm gonna kind of what I mean is, <laughs> it's like. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. And, and a few times you can hear a s in the ass. <laughs> and this was, this was like the magic bullet. <laughs> this was like what proved yeah. it for us is that it says, because you hear, you hear an S. What else could that S be? It's probably just whatever, right? But I, so I don't think it, this anymore. I don't think this is true. I don't think they would. I still believe. I don't. <laughs> I want I'm to believe. I'm the molder of this. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think this is true anymore. I just don't see a reason. I think if one were to ask them about this, they would go, what? <laughs> uh, what you talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. This was not going to be the first thing about the song I brought up with Dave. I'm sorry. Uh, no, this is great. Um, yeah, fuck you, asshole. I don't think it has hey. any... Oh. <laughs> uh, in what did qu- I do? In quotation marks. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I'm taking the quotes away. Whoa. What? Yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, try to listen. You might not hear it. It's because it's not there. <laughs> but um, oh, Dave's stealing a peek at my notes here. You're not yeah. allowed to look at that. Don't oh. so I? Re- it's it's all blurry. Well, I, so I may need glasses. In a more, yeah. in a more positive uh, vein, though, this is a wonderful, beautiful song. Linnell wrote the song. Linnell wrote it before they might be giants, uh, according to that. all a bunch of different sources. Really, they they've said it's like their earliest song, and it's one of Linnell's earliest songs. I often think about when he was in the, the his pre they might be giants bands. One of the big ones was the Mundanes. John was in a bonafide new wave band. That's right. I was in a skinny tie band, although yeah. I didn't actually wear a skinny tie. What was the name of the band? I was called the Mundanes. We were out of Providence, Rhode <laughs> Island. They were actually fantastic. a really great. I mean, as as a fan, I can I can tell you they were actually a, a really superior band, and we uh, were professional. Which was a, a a fairly mainstream kind of band that he was yeah. in, and. I always feel very fond of Linnell, like thinking of Linnell and as like this weirdo songwriter who's just playing keyboards for the mundanes. And he's meanwhile, he's writing songs like Cowtown. <laughs> when I was really starting to do a lot of songwriting, when I was like in my early 20s, I, I joined the band very briefly as the keyboardist. Do you remember, Dave, the Stamps? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was... Well, I guess it's hard to say if I joined them. I, I rehearsed with them a few times. We never had a show. Wow, you just blew my mind. But I, f- I felt what like what I, and you know, I'm honestly like I'm anthropomorphizing mm. Linnell's <laughs> feelings as if I know. But I, I felt even just playing keyboards for this girl, she wrote very like Smith's uh, rip Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought about this in... 20 years. Yeah, you know, I did like the songs. I mean, obviously, I would, if I hated the songs, I wouldn't have even tried it. But for so for for a few months, maybe two months, 
I rehearsed the songs with them and I learned them. They were very complex. It was very difficult to play, but I was kind of doing in that same headspace where I was like, I wrote this two minute weird song about this one weird thing. And I was like, I wonder if that's like, was Linnell's mundane's experience? Cause he has said Cowtown was one of the earliest, earliest things he's ever written. So yeah. it, it stands to reason he had it at that time. Like he was going to present it to them. And it's like that, if you've heard the mundane's music, were they like a little more serious or something? Little, was this, little, you know, very... Was a town of cow too <laughs> silly for them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so love songs and, you know, maybe I'm selling it short. I, I haven't really investigated the lyrics, but they seem like basically pretty mainstream kind of stuff. And I, I try to hear really hard to Linnell's like keyboards or what, what he's doing. <laughs> There's even some old uh, videos, which is crazy because Linnell has blonde hair. Uh, new, <laughs> breaking news. Wow. Um, I, it was kind of actually shocking when I saw it. I'm sure for most fans, it'd be shocking. Dyed blonde, right? Not dyed, naturally yeah, blonde. Dyed blonde, I believe. Um, so yeah, Cowtown in this in this context would be bizarre. But I really do think you know he, his soulmate Flansburg uh, was. It's kind of sweet. And, his, his Anna Ing. It's Anna Ng. Well, it is weird how they, because when the band started, like they had gone to high school together and even gone, I think, to earlier than that together because they talk about, there's an interview where uh, Linnell said that he he lost his spleen <laughs> in an accident. How do you lose a spleen? He lost, yeah, where he misplaced his spleen in an accident. And he remembers that Flansburg, uh, his class, this is a younger oh, kid. Oh, yeah, I know this. So, okay, I don't know if other people do. Go but on. Flansburg was in a class, in his class in elementary school, and they all had to write a get well card to Linnell. And Linnell claims that Flansburg wrote something very mean, <laughs> <laughs> which is, man, uh, I, that story makes me very happy. I think your point was that they... My they was, managed to they, find each other they, over yeah, and over they, again. They went to high school, became friends in high school. Then they moved. Yeah, they lost They touch. separately moved away, but then they separately moved to the same like apartment building. Yeah. And we're like, it's oh, kismet. it's you. And, you know, that does happen in life. That's happened to me a few times. I've run into people like that. But So it's like that, the people review... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but so it's like, oh, you're you the are the person to it. sing Cowtown with me, and then the the fact that both then they of them, kissed the, <laughs> the fact that both of them sing it is nice. I wanted to really quickly say one of those weird moments where that happened once. I went to summer camp. I had was friends with this girl on the the bus that would take us home, and then summer camp ended, and me and my family took a vacation to a far place far away, not New York State where I live, but, but another state very far. And the girl from the bus was staying a few doors down Yikes. from us. It was Should so have weird. married her. I, ha I actually we had a weird crush on her just because of that, because it felt like very <laughs> Anna English to me. But I remember walking, I was walking, taking a walk around like the like area. I think it was like a beach area. And I just heard like Jordan. <laughs> I was like, whoa. So it was crazy. So so anyway, Linnell and Flansburg sing Cowtown together. I think that's like a sweet thing. And and one time Flansburg introducing the song at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, they did a Lincoln show, and um, which I might refer to a few times because there were some interesting things about the songs at that show. But Flansburg said, this is my favorite song. I remember being very, like, it was very heartwarming. And when he said it, he it felt, it didn't feel like Flansburg stage blabbing that was just like off the top. Yeah. It felt very sincere. This next song is a very, uh, a very special song to me, not just, not just because 
It's on um, our second album, but the reason it's on our second album, which is that it's, uh, uh, the second album came as a surprise to us because we never thought we'd make a second album. <laughs> so uh, we actually had to uh, jump back and, um, and, and grab some of the original uh, They Might Be Giants material. This song was actually uh, um, a song that existed before They Might Be Giants even existed as a band. It was just something we put together like a year before. It was on spec. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's my favorite song. And then when they performed it, it's probably one of the best musical performances I've seen from them. They were, Flansburg had like this giant smile the whole time. They were just, he was, it was really like a special moment. And, and I love that. I think about that now when I hear Cowtown, actually. Mm. So, man, one thing about this song, uh, the lyrically, we're talking about the last episode, we talked all about the 64 World's Fair and, and all about the thematic ties on the album. Well, Anna Ng goes into Cowtown and Cowtown mentions Roosevelt Avenue, which goes right to Flushing Meadows Park where the 64 World's Fair was. The yellow Roosevelt Avenue leaf overturned, the ardor of our boreality is in a Look it up on Google Maps, folks. Um, I did just to double check, even though I live very close by to Roosevelt Avenue, but the idea that they're referencing the street that leads right to the Unisphere, basically, leads a little to the left of the Unisphere or whatever, a little north of it, I think. But it goes right to like the stadium there and there's mini golf there and all that. Roosevelt Avenue is how you get to the Flushing Meadows Park. Wow. So do you see what I mean? Or am I convincing you more now? Dave seemed a little skeptical last episode about all these things tying together. I'm sufficiently satisfied that you're correct. So yeah, Roosevelt Avenue being name-checked in the song is, is special. Um, as for the other lyrics, Dave? <laughs> well, they're talking about a sea cow, right? I, you know, I think one of the old um, mailing list FAQs said, this song's about a manatee. I don't think, I don't know. At this point, I don't know. I mean, I was looking up Cowtown. It's like a cowboy town where it's like right. a town based around, you know, the industry, right, of cows. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what they're talking about either. I think Linnell even said in an inter interview once, I don't remember what that song was about. I don't know if I believe him when he says that, because I think he just doesn't want to explain it or talk about it. But this is a hard, this is a dense one lyrically. I know, again, we return to the idea of death in this song. Yes. The only home is bone. Yeah, Anna Ng had, Which is not didn't a quite touch on death. Sexual. But... <laughs> Keep going. Nope. Mailing. No, for sure. Look, the song deals deals with death saying you want to be beneath the waves in most yeah. most contexts would be, you know, look, They Might Be Giants have a lot of drowning in their songs. I don't know if you noticed that. And then we yearn to swim for home. I mean, I guess, you know, it's funny. I never connected the beneath the waves with the line we yearn. The song, the lyrics almost seem kind of disconnected, especially Linnell's verse that he sings, rather, because I guess he wrote all the verses. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's just reading the lyrics now. Yeah, look, I don't know if I can tell you people what this song is about. I, I, I'm pretty satisfied with knowing about the Roosevelt Avenue thing. Though that sentence, that, that line, is that those words are in is quite complex. 
I don't know if it's complex and and has a you know a meaning or if it's just having fun with words the way a, like a, say Walt Kelly might in his old songs. Sometimes you have to imagine they're just putting in certain syllables because of the way they sound. So I actually bought this book on Amazon that has an interview with Linnell in it, and now this is a book. I bought it for five dollars. It's a real book, folks. I'm holding a book. It. It's called In Their Own Words, Songwriters Talk About the Creative Process. And Linnell did say something interesting about what you just said, Dave. Thank you. So he goes, I think you'll notice with my songs, maybe more than John's, that the metric spacing of the words is identical from one verse to another. That's because the music's written first and I can't bear to change the melody. And then he says, Mm, I dig. He talks about how you know, sometimes the, the words are more for putting in the syllables, but I, I still don't think that negates meaning. I, I think that's a tricky subject because I, I don't think saying that means, oh, then I can throw these lyrics right. in the garbage and not care about. Well, probably the best thing is when the syllables uh, do what he wants them to do and the lyrics are also great. So him, she's probably thinking of words that make the most sense with the uh, amic pentameter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that is what it is, and and I, it is an interesting thing that he points out about the difference between him and Flansburg. That Flansburg doesn't yeah. do that as much. Um, I never thought about that. So maybe the five bucks was worth it. <laughs> this book. There you go. So musically, though, for Cowtown, I wanted to touch on well, one. I always thought the opening riff was kind of like the blister in the sun. It's like do 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 do. I don't know if that's on purpose, but probably not. But the only uh, other musical thing I, besides fuck you asshole, which I was going to get to. Yeah, I was just rechecking my notes and that just said, (laughs) I just, it's funny when you type curses. It says just fuck you asshole in your phone to you. Yeah, like I'm just like, oh my. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why was I so mean to myself? Yeah. Um, Besides that, we talked about the warmth of this album. And and one thing I want to talk about is the colonial feel of the drums. So right. a lot of the drums, a lot of the snare drum on this album is kind of a marching a march. drum sound. Ah, you're ahead of me. Okay. I thought I was going to shock Dave with this revelation. <laughs> but um, whereas the first album drum is is more 80s, kind of like... Poof. Reverb, yeah. Yeah, and, and reverb, and also just the sound of the snare. Even, Big sound. Even the ones that aren't reverbed heavily. The drums on this album, they're a little... Man, it's hard to describe musically. They're almost like flatter sounding. They're very, yeah, they're tight. We for home. They're tighter, yeah, and and the the patterns are more marching like, and it's like that in this song. It's like that on many songs on this album, and to me that denotes like a a more of a gentle feel. Like rightly, we talked about the sound of this album being a little sweeter. The percussion isn't so jamming you in the skull with um, harsh sounds. The snare drum is very pleasant sounding. It almost is kind of like a brush snare drum. A little smaller. Like yeah. the Violent Femmes kind yeah. of snare drum in a way. And the bass sound on this album is consistently kind of like the Violent Femmes uh, bass sound. With it's like, an, it's like a synth acoustic bass. Yeah. So it's ex, it's like the acoustic qualities of like the strings on, on an acoustic bass guitar are heavily um, exaggerated in the synth sound. After the It's very like like ping pongy, like bong bong bong, right? So throughout the album, there's a couple songs where it's not like that, but throughout the album, it, it has that kind of feel, punchy, punchy, and with that. So I almost wonder if they were like into Violent Femmes at this point, because I've I've always thought this album had a weirdly Violent Femmes feel. Hmm. I the, never thought about drums. that. Yeah, and the drums and bass. You sat 
Um, and, you know, me and Dave, we, we, we're big Marlon Femmes fans. One of know. my top five favorite bands. Top five. So I wanted to mention that for, for Cowtown. And also it has, in the last verse, you've got these kind of chimes, right? These like uh, kind of like a chiming instrument that's very bright sounding yeah. that comes in. And that's another pattern throughout the album that, that kind of comes back. Not the exact same synth, but the idea of this very pleasing, very pretty <laughs> instrument coming in happens on a lot of the songs. And so this song to me is maybe even more than Anna Ng. This song is really showing the kind of the style of the album, which is kind of folksy and colonially and kind of almost you can imagine like a picnic kind of feel. It's the girl next door. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Way to make it creepy, Dave. Uh, So I think we can move on. We're going to try to go faster than we did for Anna (laughs) Anna Ng one. All right. Track three. Dave, what's this song? Next song is Lie Still Little Bottle. Lie still, little bottle. Shake my shaky hand. Black coffee's not enough for me. I need a better friend. One pill at the bottom. The only song on the album that features a real drummer. What? Okay, so here's a funny thing. This real drummer. A doctor. A doctor. A a doctor, no less. A doctor is the murderer. (laughs) Um, I tried looking up this guy. (laughs) What is his name? Kenneth Nolan? Yeah, I found a doctor, Kenneth Nolan, in Massachusetts. (laughs) Oh, my God. But then I was like, well, they did record it in Brooklyn or or in Manhattan. Think they called him in so i was like oh maybe it's a guy in manhattan is this a real doctor has anyone ever reached out to him is this a fake man dr kenneth nolan yeah um real drums is very interesting because would it not just continue their themes to have it be that that strange robotic yeah drum? why only on this track yeah it's not that this track is more soulful <laughs> there's more soulful songs on the album that um have the fake drums right so i guess all the crazy fills and stuff they couldn't get through a machine we talked about a few episodes ago like nothing's gonna change my clothes has like that jazzy percussion but it's robotic which makes it all the more uh, disconcerting (laughs) um why still a little bottle it's like fans were being like no, this is going to be a real jazz song. I, maybe Flansburg got like overexcited about, I wrote a jazz song and it should be a jazz song, you right? do something cool. Because, uh, you know, do, do you think the, fing- the finger snaps are real too, right? To my ear. They I'm, sound I mean, no, natural no to me. Yeah. And to me, a very early TMBG-ish thing to do would be to have these robotic, yeah. <laughs> weird, fake like finger snaps, which they, they've done stuff like that. So to make all these things real, and I'd almost say the bass is real, but I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. It sounds very natural, though. So that is weird. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that Flansburg said in an AV Club interview, a really fantastic AV Club interview, by the way, I highly recommend, where they, they make a playlist of songs. The theme for the playlist is like the fuzziness of telling the truth in a song okay. and what that means. So this to me says a lot about the way they write songs. Like an unreliable narrator? Yeah, yeah. I guess that would be a, a, a succinct, a better way than fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's been a long day, folks. But uh, yeah, the idea of songs that announce to you that they're telling you the truth, but there's no reason to believe that, right? That's interesting. It's almost like uh, capturing the Freedmans. <laughs> <laughs> <Yikes>. um, <laughs> but uh 
So they, they mention that this song has a, a huge inspiration from 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. And I'm going to play this for Dave. He's, you've probably heard this. You might not know you've heard it. Okay. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper. So this song, right? It's very, they might be giants um, yeah. And you can really hear the lie still little bottle reference point there and the fucking violent femmes reference point well again it's this isn't a very american song it's like in a bluesy yeah. slavey <laughs> kind of song yeah. that's my cute term for slave yeah songs. <laughs> it's adorable and i really thought that was interesting and 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 flansberg said in the interview we went to record the song in the studio we're looking for an interesting arrangement we basically applied 16 tons by tennessee ernie ford in terms of the sonics you know the clarinet the finger snaps the very like sparse arrangement. They wanted it like the back of a jazz club. Yeah. So I, you know, kind of quiet. I had never thought of that. Can I know that song? That song is actually on uh, the Soprano soundtrack, right? Uh, or a playlist that I found of Soprano songs that ends an episode. So I, I know the song. I knew the song before that, but now I'll always think about "Lie Still, Little Bottle" with that song. Right? You really hear the inspiration there. So not just musically, but I also think the lyrics uh, in a few ways kind of tie to Lie Still Little Bottle. There's a line, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. And then he says, St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. So the idea of being like a slave to something else is something that's in Lie Still Little Bottle. You know, it's like the narrator can't really think for himself. He needs, he needs the drugs. He needs those drugs. What is it like when your mind is weak and your back is weak? <laughs> that's you're just fucked yeah tell me about <laughs> that's it that's being maybe old yeah that's like what the other half of they might be giant songs are all about actually because <laughs> i was like oh my mind is weak oh wait my back is too yeah <laughs> damn so is the bottle uh about alcoholism so let's let's talk about the lyrics dave uh no he has said i was setting you up because i just read okay that. <laughs> this song has been commonly misunderstood this song is called Lie Still Little Bottle, and people seem to think it's about alcoholism, and, uh, but we are family entertainment, and this song is about uh, amphetamines and barbiturates, actually, so please don't get the wrong idea. Which right. is a funny joke. Flansburg is funny. They call him Funny Flansburg. Uh, lyrically, I think this, this actually kind of goes with what I was saying about these songs that are not too cryptic, that you can kind of, you have, yeah. a, you have an entry point, and you kind of get what they're saying. Um, Cowtown does not fall into that. By the way, but this one is like a great song when you're a teenager and getting into They Might Be Giants and being like, this is a fucked up song about addiction. And, and yeah. they've, you know, since then, they've certainly done a lot of songs about it. I don't, is there one on, um, I guess Alienations for the Rich we mentioned has the line about getting drunk and stuff. But this is really the start of the kind of like, you know, dangerous, sad <laughs> addiction kind of thing in their lyrics. One thing I noticed about this song also, we had a, a little debate, a uh, little de debatey roo early on. That's like a little debate. It's like not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, when you say like, we're not arguing, we're debating. Like, what's one before debating? Yeah, I say that a lot. You're like, oh, this one has a lot of big words. And I was like, no bigger words than bad religion songs. Oh, and I was battle of the bands. And it was funny because uh, there was a parallel there where we both liked 
bands that are using kind of these fancy pants words. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? uh well when i was in english class the song helped me know what a simile and a metaphor what the difference was which of course is a simile of course simile uses the term like like a or as a so you'd be like i'd be like dave you're as pretty as a picture right damn right that's a simile but if i say dave you're a comet flying away that's a metaphor because i'm like staying directly saying that you are something right damn right rather than saying you're like something Right? Yes. So I think so. What do you think of bands intentionally using words that are harder for the person to understand? Do you think that's yet another wall well, of. Well, you know, like I think we're up? in danger of, of sounding dumb when we're like, <laughs> why'd you use that word when the songwriter might have just been like, I just, it's a word. Yeah. What? Um, though for certain, they use it in a self conscious context. A care, I mean, it's, it hard, it's hard for me to believe that you would say, too gregarious in a song yeah. without knowing that the audience in front of you hearing that is is maybe going to smirk or yeah. something, right? I don't know if this is true, but I did hear once that Ween said they don't like They Might Be Giants because they are they remind them of just college guys who are trying to show how smart they are. Right. <laughs> hey, you know, it's funny because I think there's a similar complaint about bad religion among the punk mm. community. Oh, yeah. You're just trying to show off. To me, the English language is cool and a beautiful thing, and I, I think people should show off. You know, there's a lot of different words you could use in songs. I, when I'm trying to write lyrics, I hate when I hate when I wrote something that I feel like has been said already. So that's that's one way of getting around that. I know. Just uh, the only reason I brought it up is because it, it seems to be particularly present in this song. Mm-hmm. The use of the the big words in bad religion, they kind of do it all over the place. I mean, there might be a thematic reason, you know. I mean, like, the, do you think the narrator is like supposed to be a, a smarty like, pants? He's like and, an author, yeah. like a, a artsy kind of, you know, like authory type who's addicted to like a Hunter S. Thompson. Type. Yeah, that's exactly. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. I for sure think that could be part of it. Is that he's painting a picture here? So, Dave, what do you think? My favorite part of Lie Still Little Bottle on a musical level is. Do you know? Do you remember? I probably talked about it to you before. Well, Jordan, I can't forget. It's probably that one piano note. Yes, it is. And we're going to hear that one note. This is my favorite note on a They Might Be Giants album, maybe. Shake my shaky that's funny because that's actually probably one of the earliest conversations we had what regarding yeah you don't remember no this is why you're here when we started dave has a really good memory it's disturbing sometimes thank you it disturbs me i wasn't complimenting you oh dave's like a robot what (laughs) a cute robot Yeah, one of the earliest conversations we had when we started to really get into the real minutiae of all these songs, where we kind of started to bond and really appreciate how the songs were put together, you made great pains to point out that really specific choice. Mm -hmm. And I never really listened to it or thought about it. It doesn't sound like MIDI to me. It sounds like they went to the trouble of getting a... No, I'm almost positive that's a real note. Yeah, it's a real big piano note i bet it i bet they had a good time doing that that probably took three Uh, days unless or maybe they fought about it for (laughs) three hours i was like no (laughs) but that is like one of those early times where i was like man we can really uh we can talk for a while about this stuff yeah (laughs) and folks it all comes full circle if only we could have gone back in time and warned us to stop right there don't Uh, it's one of the early references to coffee in the lyrics. We should probably point that out. Yeah, Co- we should. This love is it. Coffee segment. We should have a little coffee clip here. <laughs> Drinking coffee. Coffee. Coffee or 
But uh, so that's that's exciting. But he says it's not enough for him. He needs a better friend. Yeah, I feel you. Dave, I thought I need the clip of him saying I need a better friend would be a very good clip if you say something that makes me sad or, or, or angry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to put that on note for later. Yeah, that line reminds me of the Monopuff song Unsupervised, where he talks about the, quote, diminishing effects of coffee in your 30s, unquote. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and he refers to it as a friend. Right. Which, that's interesting. That really does tie the songs together. Flansburg really sees coffee as, as a friend who either is not good enough or not strong enough for him. I mean, I gotta say, as I get older, sometimes that is literally the only thing that'll get me through the day is like well this day is gonna be terrible but i know at some point i can drink a cup of coffee yeah when i had a when i had a day job <laughs> don't worry folks i do make money but just not with a <laughs> normal day job <laughs> he's fine folks. you don't want to know how i make money but uh when i had a day job you know there was a deli attached to the building that it was in right just coming in punching in <laughs> right in the little thing there and then just being like be right back just going to get a coffee Oh, there was like a comfort to that. Part of it was it was delaying my workday by two minutes. Just like I, no one can argue that I'm going to get a coffee, right? I have to do it. So part of the big appeal of things like coffee, cigarettes, to a lesser extent, or I don't, you know, to a, to the extent Corn. that I don't know, well, danger, <laughs> more dangerous things, alcohol, yeah, yeah. substance, whatever, uh, eating, fill Opioids. in the blanks. Um, is <laughs> your little uh, Muppet helper. <laughs> Remember opioids, Dave. Oh boy, <laughs> um, that's podcasty. <laughs> that's a horrible name for. Uh, yeah, I could do better than that. How about potty? <laughs> that's don't letty. Yeah, <laughs> the podcast D thrower offer. <laughs> yeah, I, I aim to Dave. Whenever Dave is making oh a my really God, good, it's... interesting <laughs> point, I, I try to just throw him off by doing a funny voice. It He'll only pro- happens. About... Probably catch on to that by now. Or sirens outside or trying to fucking throw me off, too. The whole world's against me, goddammit. And ichnambula outside. I only make a good point once or twice an episode. Anyway, mm-hmm. my point being re- a third interruption. <laughs> my dog just walked in. Stiffed my crotch. Not that I'm not appreciative. Hey, you know, not to not to blame the victim, but maybe you shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Had my crotch out there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take four. Yeah. A big part of the appeal of things like coffee, cigarettes, uh, is just going through the movements, the um, the methodology of it. Yeah. Um, the smells and the feels. <laughs> the feels that give you the feels. Yeah. Feel those beans. Yeah. It's funny. Do you know that there's a great uh, comedians in cars with coffee with Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David? It's probably my favorite uh, one of my favorite things. I, I've watched it like four times because I, I love the two of them. There's a point when they... The pancake thing? No, the oh, thing sorry. about the... <laughs> Larry David gets tea during their, yeah. you know, having coffee date and Seinfeld's making fun of him. And then he says, Larry David's like, what's the difference? I have a cup. It's got liquid <laughs> in it. What do you care? And Seinfeld says, it's the mood. And yeah. I, I agree. And I, I think this coffee mood is very important to they might be giants to bring it back. Very important to they might be giants. It is. And this this is a it is a monumental thing in a weird way that they meant this mentions coffee. I will definitely point out more. And also the <laughs> just the last thing I'll say about coffee is uh <laughs> for now. <laughs> how do you take your coffee? I think we should establish this. How do you take your coffee, Dave? Well, Jordan, I, I know uh sometimes it seems like we're not relate uh relating things back to they might be giants, but I tweeted them once. How do they take their coffee? Okay. Because I'm really curious. They never yeah. answered. Oh, yeah. I take my coffee with, I used to take it with skim milk. Okay. And two sugars. Because I like 
the taste of the coffee more than the taste of the milk or cream and the sugar. Because I'm trying to be a little bit healthier. I'm trying to cut back on the sugar in the coffee. Because, folks, coffee's not what's bad for you. It's the stuff we put in it. Yeah, yeah. It's the milk and the sugar. So I'm doing uh, one sugar now and whole milk. Okay. Which may be better. Dave, are you going to ask me how I take my coffee? (laughs) No. Okay. How you take your coffee? Similar to you, I stop the sugar. No more sugar. Can't do it, man. Some people take their coffee black. Like my wife, black coffee. It's... (laughs) horrible i watched a documentary <laughs> about sugar that you can find online I know, it's bad for you and it's from this australian guy and the whole documentary if you want an, an idea of what the documentary is like it's like sugar <laughs> <laughs> but it's just about how bad it is and and after watching that i said Scared well you know straight. what milk has sugar in it already so i'm already putting sugar in coffee so i might as well just try to fix this little thing sometimes i'll put a tiny bit in <laughs> Dave wants I think me we're, to move on. <laughs> oh, no. The only thing I'll say, just hot coffee is comforting. Mm-hmm. Iced coffee is refreshing. So, Dave. Coffee. Track four. <laughs> Let's get into it. Purple to bay. We were just off mic. We were off mic debating about how much to go into the references in Purple Dupay. I have a few yeah. that I want to touch on, but because I'm I'm no history buff, <laughs> right? It's not so much a thing. One thing I did want to do. Maybe before Dave goes into what he thinks, I'll, I'll preamble it by opening this book with a Linnell interview in it that I paid Damn. $5 for. Again, he talks about purple toupee. Now, this is also on the Wikipedia, but guys, I'm not looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> this is a professional podcast. I am opening a book because I live in the 1970s. fearing <laughs> ever-loving book. I actually really like what he says about Purple Dupay, and I'm going to quickly say it here. Well, one thing I like that he says, I don't even know if this is on the Wikipedia, but he says, I have this friend who likes all of our songs except that one. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) That's weird, because to me, Purple Dupay is a quintessential Linnell hit, right? That's like a top 10. But she she said she didn't get it. She thought Purple Dupay was like a surrealist toss-off. Then she changed her opinion about it when I told her that the song had used a couple of Prince songs as a springboard, yeah. Purple Rain and Raspberry Beret. Now, Dave, that's interesting because I, it's not that I didn't doubt that, but I, I thought that was fan speculation right. that could be maybe not true. It's very interesting to me to hear him actually say that. The quote continues, I guess part of the idea was that at that time, it seemed like there was the 60s revival in the works, kind of like how there's an 80s revival now and going into the 90s revival yeah, soon, sure. is going to be happens. torturous. Um, it's going to be lame as fuck. It, re- <laughs> yeah. it reminded me of all the other revivals that had taken place that were reviving times that I wasn't around for. They must have been complete shams <laughs> based on what yeah. the 60s revival was. It seems like it was based on the utterly one-dimensional caricature of the time that it was supposed to be representing or reviving. That still goes on now. Now, that's what Purple Toupee is about, sort of, he says. Yeah, I love reading that quote. Um, 
because one could see the song and say, oh, he's mashing together stuff from the 60s. Song figured out <laughs> and like wipe their hands of it, right? Yeah. But he is, he has a point of view in it and he's criticizing something and he, he's, he's challenging something, which is, I think because of Linnell's, maybe his like nerdier style, which I, I'm sorry to use the word. I don't know what else to use. It's a pejorative. I do think a lot of his songs have real feelings and real, maybe sometimes angry feelings, you know, Flansburg too. Nerds get mad. <laughs> they do. Uh, so yeah. So Dave. Do you want to take us through some of the stuff in this song? Going with the theme that we talked about last time about American history, mm -hmm. this one is rife with references all getting mixed up. So I love where he says uh, the line I heard about some lady named Selma and some blacks. I wanted to ask yeah. you, uh, well, Selma's a place. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just think it's funny that he, you know, Selma was a location and he's talking about some lady named Selma. It goes, yeah. you know, confusing all the references. I wanted to ask you if you think the person in the song is supposed to be thinking of Rosa Parks and calling oh. her Selma. Yeah, probably. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, because she's, you know, widely regarded as Yeah, I never one. tried to, like, disentangle yeah. some of the things beneath the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair to say. I did. I took a very intensive uh, civil rights movement class in my weirdo Ooh, high school. Look at you. That we mentioned before. And I... I really liked it, and I learned, I do like a lot about American history, but it was a while ago, so like mm -hmm. the person in the song, I am kind of confusing yeah. things that I learned, but I it's a really <laughs> fascinating part of our history, and a scary part, folks. Yeah, well, to go back into the, the, the thing we talked about in the last episode, and, and it, this is a song that takes place in the 60s, track one talks about the 1964 World's Fair. The 1964 World's Fair had a pavilion for Johnson's Wax. <laughs> right. What do you think of that, Dave? <laughs> it all connects. So Johnson's Wax, you know, is a company. So S.C. Johnson, uh, a family company at work for a better world. I'm on the Wikipedia here. Creepy. S.C. Johnson and Son, <laughs> household cleaning supplies and chemicals. And they had, they had a setup at the 64 World's Fair. Johnson's Wax, a jewel of a building with a suspended theater within its circular colonnade. This song takes place in the 60s. Again, not to like harp on it, but man, this the '64 World's Fair is kind of all over this album in a way, and in the subtle Nexus ways, point. it really is the nexus point for the album. And not just that, um, free the Expo '67. The Expo '67 was the Montreal World's Fair, was the World's Fair in Canada. We leave you tonight with a trip to the past when the future was still shiny and bright. The dreamers of 1967 imagined a world full of monorails, habitats, and geodesic domes. Montreal's Expo 67 made that vision a reality. Expo 67, the greatest show on earth. After six months, Expo will be at the mercy of the demolition squads, but not Slaron. All the fun of the fair is international and everlasting. But the, the idea that you've got two songs in the first four tracks that talk about the 60s and world's fairs in the 60s. I mean, come on, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm giving it to you. It's an album of nostalgia. And again, they even the snare drum in this song is the same way, kind of marching like, ding, 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 you know? Yeah. So um, there's a few things I wanted to talk about musically with this song. And this is another one that I think the lyrics are, they're just cryptic enough, but you can really easily see what he's doing, right? Like fans don't really disagree on what's happening in the song. It's that a guy has jumbled together all of the these events in the 60s, right? Now, as for the deeper meaning that Linnell talks about in this book, that's something that's super interesting to me because of that. But 
it, it's sort of like Anna Ang and, and like Lies the Little Bottle. It's like a song that's, it's just cryptic enough to be um, superficially very interesting when you first hear it. But then when you, you actually look at the lyrics and if you go, oh, I see what he's doing. Whereas I, again, I feel the first album with stuff like Chesapeake's Face, right. Rabbit Child, Toddler Highway. You look at the lyrics and go, I don't see what he's doing uh, so easily. Uh, maybe some people do. Um, so they're honing in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's... Focusing it, up. I, I don't mean it in a, sell, a sellout way, of course. But it, I, I do think it's like the album is more easy to grasp. So I love the, the sound of, of the song, which it's like very... The guitar is very upfront and the accordion's very upfront. So you really hear like Linnell and Flansburg together. I love Flansburg's harmonies, right? In you know, in the chorus. Yeah. I, I really like the quality of his voice in that harmony. I think it's like doubled, but it's a certain way he sings. It almost kind of reminds me of like spiraling shape. He sings that in that way in the harmonies. Like it's a certain kind of Flansburg tone. And one thing that uh, hit me when I was listening, so the, the song has a lot of gaps in the music, right? So it's like... Yeah, starts and stops. Yeah, a lot of starts and stops. Ding, ding, ding. And it's like, to me, that you could thematically connect that to like the gaps in this narrator's memory. Oh. And I, I don't, again, I, I think these things are kind of work subconsciously maybe. But to me, it's really interesting that a song that's about someone who's got all these jumbled memories or things don't connect, the music is so like start and stoppy. I think that's really important to the song. Well, so some people think they told me I was fat was about John <laughs> Lennon. Do you think that's about John Lennon? Was John Lennon? He was apparently he was. Fat? This was on the old FAQ. He's a skinny fellow. He 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 became skinny, but when they first hit America, he was a little heavier. Oh no, no! Apparently, the press made fun of him as being fat. People think that that's a reference that I remember that being on the old the old mailing list. When are we going to stop John Lennon shaming people? It might be a reference that stepped on my hair, told me I was fat. Martin X was mad when they outlawed bell bottoms. Obviously, uh, yeah. combining Professor X and <laughs> and, and Dean Martin. <laughs> I would like to see that uh, <laughs> see that happen. Yeah, well, that's a good example of a lyric where I, when I was a teenager, I was like, "Oh, that's so clever. I get it," <laughs> you know, because like I, I can grasp it, right? And I don't mean that as a criticism. I think that's great. I just, I, you know, it, there's a certain quality of song. Have you ever thought of this song with uh, "We Didn't Start the Fire"? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and it occurred to me. Kind of at the last minute, I was like, um, yeah, they're kind of, it's a genre of song almost to, to list, list a bunch of yeah, stuff that happened. But whereas Mr. Billy Joel takes the fairly direct approach, right? I mean, he's, I don't think Billy Joel's ever trying to um, make people wonder what his songs are about. Yeah, he's just like a storyteller or whatever. Uh, Linnell's just taking that and <laughs> fucking mm. it all up. I don't know. You ever think about that? I have not. I will think about it now. One reference point we didn't really talk about that I think is worth mentioning is the the book depository. Yeah. Um, president presidential stuff. I mean, to continue the Lincoln theme, right? They might be giants reference presidents quite a lot in throughout their career. Yeah, they're obsessed with them. They were I, on the website. Yeah, the that's oh my god, that's true. The website had 
the four president heads that were kind of like ventriloquist dummies yeah, that talked. Weird stuff. Oh, so funny. I love that. Guys, maybe look on the wiki. I think they have a, an archive of some of the old website art. It's really funny. And oh, yeah, they used the to, sounds. do you remember? They used to go, yeah. draw, draw, draw. You click on it, it was like, oh, oh, oh. It's very not, um, Monty Python. Yeah. I haven't thought about that in a really long time. I think about it every day. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, the, the old motif on their website of the president heads and their mouths are kind of disconnected, like the way ventriloquist dummy mouths are. And they're, they're speaking all this distorted, garbled speech. That that really ties with the themes I talked about in the last right. episode about the Lincoln robot, and one of the heads is even Lincoln. So think about that. Um, so the the book depository is obviously uh, that's about when JFK was blown away. And people, what else do I have to say? <laughs> <laughs> I even remember, you know, so Adam Bernstein, who directed. You remember when he was assassinated? I remember when he was assassinated. I was there. Uh, oh, fuck. Whoops. Uh, pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> but uh, aged well. So Adam Bernstein, who directed their early videos, you know, he di- also directed Pete and Pete, the adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon. And I, I really see him as a, like a kindred spirit to They Might Be Giants. Cause there is, there's an episode of Pete and Pete he directed where the little Pete gets, so he's, this is convoluted. He's eating, no, a, no, he's great. eating a cereal called president pops <laughs> okay. and it's little, they're shaped like the president and he gets it stuck in his nose and it's very, they might be giants ish. Like he, the whole episode is about him trying to get, well, it's a subplot. <laughs> so don't worry. Oh, that's the B story. Yeah. It's the B story. I'm not worried. It's about little Pete trying to get this thing that this president head that's jammed up his nose out. And it really, like, it almost looks like William Allen white kind of thing. Like it's, it's got the head. That's the head that they use as a mascot for a lot of their, uh, memorabilia and videos and stuff but uh when he like shoots it out of his nose spoiler alert it hits the wall i'm just like this is so tmbg ish to me listeners i didn't have cable growing up and i'm still bitter about it <laughs> well not yeah sometimes i make references to things that i assume dave knows I, what i'm talking about yeah my wife will say something too from like her child and i'll be like what the hell are you talking about yeah <laughs> mtv what <laughs> it's a it's a real like divide between like cable people and non-cable yeah. people <laughs> <laughs> the war starts. Yeah. Well, the thing about Pete and Pete, it was a very college rock kind of show. Like they mm-hmm. they had Michael Stipe in an episode as yeah. a crusty, disgusting ice cream man. It's one of my favorite things. Oh, I think you showed I that showed that. Yeah. I showed Dave a lot of Pete and Pete. And um, Sid Straw, who's in Gigantic, the documentary a lot. She plays a math teacher. And Gordon Gano from Violent Femmes plays a teacher. And they had, you know, like Magnetic Fields did music for the right, show. Yeah, yeah. And um, Polaris, the band who does it. The, that guy who does Polaris, he, you know, Mark Mulcahy. He's like a genius songwriter, I think, because I love his albums. And he, he plays with Frank Black. He plays yeah. in, in a lot of Frank Black albums. He does harmonies and, and guitar. So there's a lot of, there is like tangential connections, but they never use They Might Be Giants music, though. Um, but maybe it's because a lot of the music they use on that show is kind of wistful sounding and they might be giants are, <laughs> they don't often sound like that. Not to get too unrelated thing on you guys. The other thing I like before we move on, well, I always thought it was very 60s, like we'll show the way when summer brings you down. To me, that's like a very 60s hmm. hit single kind of chorus, right? Like, because there's to me, I just imagine like hippies <laughs> in a field. <laughs> well, also like, like yeah, the summer won't bring me down, man. Well, just the whole idea of the toupee. I mean, isn't that a, a oblique reference to hair? Well, so here's the freaking thing with this this album being so thematic. One of the last lines in the song, you know, before the end though, but he goes, "After the hair has gone away, yeah. safe to say a reference to hair." Then the next track 
Cajun Aquarium is based on a song right. from Hair. That's why I love this album. It's not a concept album, but it's it's but somehow it's it is. edging towards it, right? I one thing I love about the way that they musically um, hammer home something is they say the Purple Brigade is marching. <laughs> this is a very hippie line. The Purple Brigade is marching from the grave, and then you have these zombie likes, yeah, <laughs> these monster noises. I love that it's really. It's like you're hearing the Purple Brigade coming, and it, it, it kind of is like a psychedelic. It's like a Sergeant Pepper moment. Yeah, I was going to say Yellow Submarine kind of thing. Reading that Linnell quote from this book and saying, reading lyrics now, it is hitting me. We're on some kind of mission. It's kind of vague. No, like, what, what is it? We have an obligation. We have to worship. He's like, we're, it's like how we feel now at the 80s revival. It's like, we have to worship. Do something. Yeah, yeah, we have to worship <laughs> the 80s or else. It's like, I, I totally, I feel like I do have a closer understanding of the song now. Uh, thanks to you, Dave. You're welcome. So next up is uh, a personal favorite for me, mm. and it's called Cage and Aquarium. Somebody's reading your mind Damned if you know who it is They're digging through all of your files Stealing back your best ideas you cover your Cage and Aquarium. This is, this is the song that has a little bit more in common with Flansburg's songs on the first album, right? It's a little, it's a short, <laughs> weird, stripped down very cryptic, very strange song that that feels almost more at home on the first album, but it feels more even more at home on this album because of the the 60s connection to Age of Aquarius from yeah. the Musical Hair. Again, I I'm not I'm expert on hair. So you guys don't need to hear a podcast, people pretending like they know stuff. So we're yeah. pretty upfront about stuff we don't know. Um, but the lyrics for hair that I think really contrast with Cajun Aquarium in a funny way is harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding, no more falsehoods or derisions. So it's like Cajun Aquarium is a super paranoid, yeah, yeah. scary song. And it's sort of the opposite of those lyrics. Is right? hair supposed to be good? I know a lot of people like in, it. I was interested in watching if only for the reference. <laughs> for the, Seems kind of dumb to me. Yeah, why? A bunch of people singing? Why? Who yeah. wants to sing? Dumb. What is this? A podcast about songs or something? So Dave. Yeah. This was the first song I ever learned on guitar. You don't say. Is that because it's two chords? It's two. E, it's E minor and D, except for the I couldn't play the end because it goes mm. it goes to an A and then it goes to a B. But this was the first song I ever learned, and I'm gonna play nice. a, a very brief clip of me struggling to play it. And you'll notice the large gaps between the E minor and D because I couldn't I couldn't do the fingering of the chords yet. I actually learned a song on the guitar, but I'm horrible. This is. Super slow, Cajun Aquarium. Jordan on guitar. Bad, horrible. Make the pain stop. 
anyway, I was like 15 or 16 or something. Um, Dave, what, what do you think about this song? I love how this song uh, continues more themes of paranoia. And yeah, it could be on the first album. It could be, but, it, but it, it feels like the nostalgic 60s paranoid thing is so at home, especially after Purple Dupe. I mean, they must have thought of that when sequencing it. And it really works out because you've got these Linnell singles and then you've got the weird flansies, like we said, for the other album. But it, man, they must have put a lot of, I feel like they put a lot of thought into the way this album flows. This is a song that's just, it's like so few lyrics, but it just says so much to me. And it's so interesting. I used to obsess over the phrase, used to be different, now you're the same. This is the spawning of the cage and aquarium. Don't wait a moment too soon. Used to be different, now you're the same. Yawn as your plane goes down in flames. That phrase is like a Mobius strip of like yeah. logic where I used to... For some, I remember sitting in high school thinking, like, if you used to be, <laughs> like, I, I used to try to piece it together, like, really obsessively. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned, like, the Aquarius line is, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Right. And they're saying this is the spawning of the cage and aquarium. Now, I don't think that's just silliness. You know, a cage and an aquarium are things that entrap you, right? They restrict you. They're, they keep you uh, confined. Not me. They, yeah. Um, break out. Break out of your aquarium, Dave. But those confined animals. Yeah, we're not animals, or are we? That's, That's a very true. 60s thing to be like, who's the re- who's really in the cage? Who's the real animal, man? Who's the re- no, like, <laughs> who's in the cage? Are we in the zoo? Are the monkeys in the zoo? Maybe the zoo's us. Yeah. So this, this song to me is... is <laughs> the 60s were stupid. It's... St- <laughs> This song is is steeped in that kind of uh, that kind of vibe, right? And uh, and I, I love the stripped down sound of it. I mean, it's really stripped. I was listening to it again this week, and it's like really stripped down. What is that sound? In so I think main... it's, okay. Did you bring the the earlier years booklet? Probably not, right? No. Shit. He mentions in that booklet the the rubbery guitar sound in the song, and that always stuck out because I'm like, well, that's a synth, isn't it? It's like. Brr. I think it's bouncing off his guitar. So I think he's playing like almost like ska chords, like upstrokes. Upstrokes. Thank Dave, you. Dave's having an upstroke. Yeah. <laughs> I think the upstrokes are very blended with a synth noise. It's like, so it's like, <laughs> this sounds great for you guys. Yeah. Hope you're listening on warm headphones. So yeah, it's really stripped down, but I will once one thing about the, the music I wanted to say, the harmony at the end I used to be so obsessed with that harmony. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, you know, the part in the harmony. Complicated. Yeah, it's complex. And that brings me to a whole thing about this album. Um, This album, compared to the first album, has really wonderful, complex harmonies. And not just complex, but like emotional harmonies. Like a lot of the songs have really... uh, tight harmonies, right? Like they're singing really tightly with each other. Do you know what I'm saying? I think they're not just doing like the fifth or the octave. They're doing, they're kind of weaving in and out of all yeah. kinds of different interesting notes. Yeah. A lot of them, a lot of them have that, not the first few, but coming up, there's a bunch that have it. So this, this kind of has that, but like, I think it's Linnell, right? Linnell singing the harmony for Cajun Aquarium, especially live, they would do it. And it's very pronounced when they do it live. There was always one of my favorite harmonies of theirs because it's like a whole separate. I love when a harmony is like a whole separate, almost like when a bass, yeah. bass line That's is a great saying, melody. Yeah. It's yeah, a it's, counter melody. It's, it's like, not. 
that you can enjoy on a whole other level. This is the spawning of the cage and aquarium. Don't wait a moment too soon. Used to be different, now you're the same. Yawn as your flame goes down in flames. Going back to bad religion, sometimes when you have a harmony that's so well blended, mm-hmm. um, it just it doesn't sound like anything. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds yeah, yeah, like yeah. the notes that make up a chord. And they're really hard to figure out if, together. if you're trying to replicate yeah. it. It's so really then, annoying. Whenever you have a harmony that's like a very um, memorable, specific, uh, different melody, it's always really cool to figure out both of them. Yeah. So this this one was always like that for me. One thing that the line. Uh, even keeping the pets outside <laughs> kind of reminds me of yeah. is uh, David Berkowitz, <laughs> son of Sam, because uh, really, because he's you know his dog. He says <laughs> I'm saying it like that's what happened. <laughs> you know, so you know his dog told him to kill people. <laughs> his his dog uh, liked to stir up trouble. He was a troublemaker. He was a you little. He was like a Marmaduke. <laughs> he was a he was a sociopathic Marmaduke. Yeah. So, uh, you know, episode title th- with that song is like a very paranoid, hallucinatory kind of song. And I, I was like, I wonder if he's kind of that was in, on his mind saying that, like, because if you want to even keep even if you're afraid of even what your pets are either monitoring you <laughs> or talking to yeah. you or keeping tabs on you. And he says, even keeping the pets outside. It's like Flans were being like, this guy's <laughs> like, this is even too much Let's for me. Let's cover all bases. Yeah. So the, the you know it's it might not be that the pets are talking to him, but that they're there's like listening devices implanted, you know. And Flansrick's pretty obsessed, I think, with the idea yeah, of bugs and secret, secret listening, the shadow government kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I always you think this is a Berkowitzy kind of song? <laughs> I didn't until you. Yeah. Now I'm a little afraid. I do. Th- I think that could be leaning towards like the song is from the point of view of someone who's going to go out and <laughs> kill somebody someday. I think a lot of their songs are though. To be fair, right. What do you think of the line "Yawn as your plane goes down in flames"? <laughs> the, that's kind of that always disturbs uh, so me. So I, I don't know if Flansburg's making fun of the sixties thing or if he's <laughs> leaning into it. Because to me, "Yawn as your plane goes down in flames" is the idea is just like, "Wake up, sheeple!" Right? <laughs> that's what that is. It's saying you're all you're all going down in flames and you're asleep. You fucking you know. Is Flansburg making fun of that attitude because he thinks it's ridiculous, or is he like, yeah? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I guess I took it literally. <laughs> you, you, you just see a, you see like a far side cartoon of like a guy on a plane yawning. <laughs> not a, not a far side cartoon. A guy who's like can uh, come to terms with the fact that he's about to die. Well, and so, it's so yeah, comfortable great. with it that he just starts yawning like he's about to go to sleep forever. This is a rare moment. I think both of our approaches <laughs> are valid rather than mine being right and Dave's being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute i'm just kidding but uh no that's a good point i mean look it's like the hope that i could all be right it's like just dude, the whole uh, the idea of yeah going towards your death and mm. just you're not even thinking about it or you're either okay you're well you're like you said you're either super fine with it or you're not thinking about it i see it because of the nature of the song as being like you're not even you people aren't even yeah. thinking about it and you should be so you know, Cage Aquarium is a small song, but I, I think we we did it pretty well justice. What do you think? I do. I do think we I did. I do. It. And I do want to watch Hair. I think that would be interesting to watch in context. I, I wonder if it's in... Do uh, not. I wonder if it's <laughs> fun to watch or, or not. You can do that without me, Jordan. Okay. I do imagine that we're going to have to do some research for this podcast together, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that, too. Like, for example, Naked maybe... research. Of, obviously to maybe rewatching a documentary together, maybe rewatching some of the music videos together. 
Yeah. Like a couple real buddies. Not to spoil, I did want to do an episode all about the music videos. Or the, the classic videos. Not not all the in 5,000 animated ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, why don't we do 52 of them for last year? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, track six, Where Your Eyes Don't Go? Uh, that song gives me chills. <laughs> Agreed. What about you, Dave? What do you think of Where Your Eyes Don't Go? I love it. It's a nightmarish idea. I mean, it's maybe one of the most uh, scary They Might Be Giant songs. And Linnell says it's based on a nightmare that someone someone had. Well, the scary thing about it is think like... him. <laughs> for example, like what's going on behind you right there? Okay, even Dave <laughs> just... I, this is not even a joke. Dave just saying that, I my body like tensed up. Right. Fear of the unknown. Yeah, you know, I really loved It Follows, uh, and it has that thing of, like, something's right behind me. This plays on a very uh, natural fear. You know what's scarier? What's in front of you? Uh, <laughs> my best friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I defused that one. Uh, so, if only you could say that to all the Freddy Kruegers and Jasons yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> so in early shows of theirs, when they'd play Where Your Eyes Don't Go, uh, I was listening to a bunch of different uh, bootlegs, and one thing they they do at the very start of the song is is just play complete nonsense, <laughs> like it smashed the chords. I'm gonna just play Dave a clip right now. Lay it on me, brother, man, brother, man. So I thought that was kind of funny, and and to me, that's like the musical equivalent of "Look behind you." You know what huh, I mean? Because huh. it's just yeah. like. Ah! <laughs> like it's I think that really ties in with what they're about to sing and also it's obviously it's very musically weirdly satisfying when the song gets yeah <laughs> when they get in sync but uh, I was listening to a bunch of bootlegs and they do that a lot and to, to me it is just like a it's like a almost like a jump scare in a horror movie All right I wonder when you hear live versions of songs and they start or fade out or you know uh, parts change and differ mm -hmm. how much of that comes from playing it how much is premeditated Mm. Um, and how much just goes with the vibe, uh, in the room. Like, I don't think they plan to say like, Hey, when we do this little weird beginning, uh, it's going to make you feel like, Oh no, no, you, I you know. know, but it's there. It doesn't need to be said, you know? Yeah. I think, I think you're just like tuned into the emotional state of the song. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So I bet, I bet maybe one of them, it could have happened by accident. And then they're like, Ooh, that's good. I think it'd be, I mean, I don't think they would surprise each other with that. Like, I guess I could imagine plans were playing the wrong chord and well being like, yeah. what? stop, wait. But so they're, they're clearly plan that out to yeah. both play the wrong chords at the start. And I, I think uh, the wrong chord is, is kind of an important <laughs> to what they're putting across. There's a lot of really good versions of the song. Cause the other thing that they would do in the nineties, and I know this, people because i spent the past like three days listening to bootlegs of they might be giants believe it yep the other the thing they would do in the 90s is they would just put a much metronome on stage 
And yeah. so I think they were getting a little tired of the drum machine thing and they were trying to expand to different things. So for a bunch of songs, they would just put like, a, I think like a metronome on like a stool and they'd play like a really kind of cool version of this song. Every jumbled pile of person has a thinking part that wonders what the part that isn't thinking isn't thinking of. Should you worry when the skull head is in front of you or is it worse because it's always waiting where eyes don't go, where your eyes don't go, a part of you is up I think it's funny that I, I, it might be in then the earlier years booklet or, or an interview, but they said this song was inspired by a nightmare that a member of the band had. It's like, you mean Linnell? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> I always thought that was funny. This is a song about a dream, uh, a nightmare that uh, one of the members of the band had as a child and uh, never really got over, actually. Well, what happens is like the person's mother in the dream is standing here and there's this sort of scarecrow thing and and the band member says look behind you and she turns around and whips around her just at the moment she turns and it keeps going like that and it's, it's a big drag i think he's got the idea in fact again i wonder if we should even play the song now that i've made it so clear i just imagine uh you know that simpsons where uh homer I know you know that Simpsons. That Simpsons where he, <laughs> I just rolled my eyes at that. Um, where he eats the uh, the chili pepper. Yeah. And he has that uh, trip where he can't get to the front of Marge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I imagine here. It's like no matter how hard you try, you can't see what's really going down. I think there's a few ways to look at it. I mean, not to go right into interpreting. Because we don't interpret on this podcast. We don't interpret the songs. Um, Ever. Where Your Eyes Don't Go is about. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes don't go... They don't turn around inside your skull. They don't. Mine do. They don't see your own skull. Oh, yours don't do that. And honestly, I I connect this song with turn around, mm. um, very specifically actually. And I'm only thinking of this right now. This is not in my notes. It's true, people. Yeah, it's the idea that right behind you is is death. Right. You know, it's it's coming up, right? It's creeping up behind you. I mean, that's fair to say. And it's not about being a. I mean, even though I, I would say this is a genuinely scary song, I, I I don't think it's about being afraid of death. It's about just be, being like aware of the fact that it's coming. And the, the one place your eyes can't go is, is inside your own skull and into your own subconscious, your own brain, right? That, that dark, whatever the hell's going on in there. I always look at Dave and wonder what the hell is going on in there. A lot of people do. So this song is in six, eight time. Do you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. <laughs> I've been doing music 20 years. I don't understand. Yeah, so here's 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 how I understand it. And I am not um every all my songs me and Dave are, four, are four. both mu- yeah, me and Dave are both musical, but I I don't think we've ever been very disciplined enough to be super technical about it. Maybe Dave more than me is is a little more technical. I used to read music. I can I, read I music can't. very slowly. <laughs> so yeah. that's more than nothing, I guess. It's more like listen to the hi-hat, right? And, yeah. Or theoretical hi-hat or the literal hi-hat in the song. Listen to the, the hi-hat. It's, you can kind of count to six on the hi-hat, like as you're listening to the song, right? You go like, I'm not asking one, you to explain two, it. Three. I'm gonna, this is going to be a little <laughs> lesson for the, for the listeners at home. <laughs> one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And then my mouth is going to be the hi-hat. One, two, three, four. One two three four five six 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 one two three four five. That's how the song is. Mm-hmm. Every jumbled pile of person has a thinking part. 
So why is the song that way? It feels like something's pushing you mm-hmm. like unnaturally, right? It's kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it has a, a, a kind of a subtle mood of like pushing you in a direction. Whereas in one, two, three, four, there's just one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's more sing-songy, right? It, it changes where notes like happen. Swing. It changes where I think like the, the guitar solo would go, you know, it kind of, yeah, it's a swing. Um, swing is a, a word. I didn't even mention that Lie Still Lord Bottle had uh, Don't Twist It Ain't Twist In Time, which is like, it could be another hanging oh. reference. I want to keep track of those because there's a lot. And they have a song so, twisting. Ooh, little, little backtrack there to Lie Still Lord Bottle. But um, yeah, so the, the swing time is very appropriate for with the way they <laughs> use the word swing. Yeah. And I really do think it is it is a thing that's like pushing you and has an, an almost like an uncomfortable feel. It's like someone yeah. shoving you and the it really fits the song really well. Someone shoving you like that guy right there. <laughs> so, god, it always works. It's so weird. And it's weird because I'm my door is shut and these are like primal fears though, like that movie Primal Fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, that but you you know you laugh because you like to laugh. Mm-hmm. But I laugh in the face of primal fear. But that's what this song is about. It's about the lizard part of our brain, yeah. like you said, that is never fully aware of how to um, compute the danger. Yeah, and I and I think you know there's the part he goes, "You're free to come and go or talk like Curtis Blow." Do you want to talk about Curtis Blow? Do you know about this a little? I, so I don't know about Curtis I'll, Blow. I'll, I'll play a clip. And sit that pace. He rapped him down. He rapped him out. He made him dead, man. He made him shout. He said, if you like Curtis Blow, then let me hear you all say, say, oh, oh, hi, yo, hi, Say Curtis. Say Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow. At midnight, Curtis Blow is one of the, the biggest innovator of rap music, of hip hop. Uh, nice. He's a big deal. So I don't think it's specifically about Curtis Blow, but it's more about saying you're free to, to do what you want, right? Mm-hmm. You're free to speak how you want. You're free to make art. You're free to, to do these things, but <laughs> you're going to die, <laughs> mm. motherfucker. Whoa. To me, that's kind of what it is. Or, or but, but there's no matter, you're free to do what you want to do, but there's, you know, well, in the song, he says there's a pair of eyes in the back of your head, which is that there's, there's a part of you that's trying to, to see what's behind you, what's coming for you. Yeah. So I, I, you know, God, well, look, this is another song that I think is, is completely is like a genius. Look, I said, I'm going to just praise this album. This, this is to me is one of their best songs. We haven't been doing that a lot, actually ranking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is to me like a top, this might be in my top 10 or whatever. Top 10 songs of all time. Uh, they might be giant songs. Yeah, mine too. I agree. I love this song. There's just something so freaking the melody and the the melody's insane. And I noticed this is an easy one to play for people that get I noticed my girlfriend took to this one very quickly. Well, also that kind of, um, I don't know, how would you describe that that <laughs> keyboard sound? Kind of like a yeah. circus music? Uh, <laughs> not in a derogatory way, just like kind of like an organ-y circus. Yeah, and it's, it's counterbalance again. There's an acoustic <laughs> guitar. And it, has, it also has a kind of folksy feel, though. There's, there's like acoustic-y stuff. We're going to talk about this later, but there's, this is almost a guitar solo at the end with, you know, <laughs> which they, so this band originally, they said no guitar solos. This was like a motto they had. And it's part of it is because Flansburg <laughs> wasn't as versatile yeah. on the guitar to do guitar solos, but it was more about a statement about keeping the song short and having all killer, no filler kind of has a guitar solo at the end, but I guess it's not a solo because it's a, 
very structured. I, I guess I see a solo as something that's kind of more. I think that's called a motif. Yeah, so it's not a solo uh, per se. I might cut this whole part. <laughs> You're free to do so, like Curtis Blow. Yeah. <laughs> This phrase, filthy scarecrow, I mean, look, <laughs> there's, it's one thing to say there's a scarecrow. <laughs> to, to add that it's filthy is just, uh, that's like kind of, that's making the, something scary even more upsetting. Don't you agree? Jordan, in my genius notes for this, I said, where your eyes don't go, what's going on behind you? I'm, I'm really... Is that all you got for me? Yeah, I'm really valuable for this <laughs> podcast. Dave, Dave needs like a self-esteem boost. I have it in this uh, injection here. So one thing we have to talk about is, Dave, someone's in (laughs) the kitchen with Dinah. Yeah. Who is it? Is it the filthy scarecrow? (laughs) Exactly. So how scary does Linnell make that Uh, lyric that sing-songy lyric uh, i always thought that lyric was scary <laughs> so here's a lot of murderer in your house yeah someone's in the kitchen with diana is a is a is well there is a whole history with that song i do think it's a it's a slavey song as i oh, would say no. um but we're must not, everything be that yeah unfortunately uh <sighs> but we're, we're not so much going to go into that but it's more that something i discovered <laughs> like columbus was uh i always say that about you yeah <laughs> Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah is probably best known as being part of I've Been Working on the Railroad, right? It's a part of that song. Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Someone's in the kitchen with That's a slave thing too, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, we might have been paid to work on the railroad. Sure. What's interesting is that Someone's in the Kitchen with Dino was originally a separate song, and then I've Been Working on the Railroad adopted it into itself, which is exactly what Linnell is doing with it again right. into this song. So he's taking something that was pieced into something else, was a jumbled pile of, of a song. Person. Yeah. So, but it was, so it's a song that was in all these different clumps, right? And he's doing it again. And I don't know if that was intentional, but it, it was really fascinating to me that just as I've been working in the railroad absorbed someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, yeah. where your eyes don't go absorbs someone and in the you, kitchen with Dinah. And then we absorb it. And then we absorb it and you absorb us. And then we're all just floating together, man. And we're in the singularity, bro. Age of Aquarius. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I, I thought that was really interesting, and I, I really do like how something they might be giants do when they reference a lyric, especially uh, an innocent lyric, but they make it scary, you know. I don't think it's innocent. And, well, but it's like sometimes it's innocent, but so they but they make it scary, and and making or and more scary. Will you accept that? <laughs> yes. So that is acceptable. Having a song that's saying there's this filthy scarecrow always behind you, and you can never see it, and then just having the the melody, it doesn't have the lyric, though they sing it live sometimes, or he has sung it live. On the Franco Tool show. That's right. But uh, he goes, 
you know, it's someone's in the kitchen with Dinah and it's mm. like, that's such a haunting line. And she can't see it. And any, yeah. And she can't see it. So I always imagine the song taking place in like a kitchen. And the scarecrow behind her. You know, that's that song. I mean, what, is there anything else you want to say about it? Oh, the Wikipedia says this is Neil Gaiman's favorite They Might Be Giant song. Really? I thought his favorite They Might Be Giant song might have been Nightgown of the Sullen Moon because Sandman makes reference to it. Really? And so so in, in all of DC Comics, I think the, the most <laughs> fantastical thing that's ever happened is that a radio DJ played Nightgown of the Sullen Moon <laughs> in Sandman. He goes, this wow. is Nightgown of the Sullen Moon by They Might Be Giants. It's in, a, it's in a caption. And I was like, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> wow. and it, well, it fits the dream logic of Sandman, yeah. which I, I think is a great, I think it's a very pointed reference, actually. And I mean, in that context, I can see why this is Neil Gaiman's favorite song. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the dream thing. Yeah. It's the dream thing. <laughs> that was the first name of a Sandman. <laughs> yeah, comic. the dream thing. Dream thing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> dream thing? Uh, so moving on to, to piece of dirt. dirt. Piece of dirt. That is all I'm standing on today. Piece of dirt. The whole Dave, piece of dirt. What do you think of this piece of gold, I say? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> this is such a nice, uh, sweet lullaby. And then it gets more horrific at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, hmm. I'm interesting. What do you mean? I find myself haunted by a oh, spooky mean, it, man. It, named it gets into where your eyes don't go territory. Sure. This to me is one of their sweetest, and I don't mean because it's like sentimental or whatever, but just one of their most beautiful songs. Uh, it really transcends Lincoln in a, in a way. Like it, it's, it has such a different sound. So in the very first performance of this song live in New Year's 1988, and by the way, there hasn't been many performances of it. He says this song is kind of, well, I'll play the clip. This next song, we've never done before in public, so I don't really know how it's going to come out. And this song is called Piece of Dirt, and it goes like this. It's kind of a hip-hop Roy Orbison kind of a song. Piece of Dirt is all I understand. So yeah, he says hip-hop meets Roy Orbison. So... Hmm. I totally hear it. Um, at least in the early way the drums were, which was like a hip hop beat, mm -hmm. and the Roy Orbison voice, like piece of dirt, you know, right? Think about it. And okay. I'll, I'll play this Roy Orbison clip that to me is like the same melody as Piece of Dirt. So listen to this California Blue by Roy Orbison. It's the same key. Working all day, and the sun don't shine. Piece of dirt, yeah. <laughs> right? It's like the same key and it's the yeah. same structure of little little fragments of lyrics kind of coming in. So that's so interesting. That's like the reference. So remember we talked about Flansburg exploring genres. Now, I think he does that a little less on this album than maybe the other album. I could be wrong. But what's interesting here is that what we're getting now is his genre explorations are mutating 
into something unrecognizable right. to what it was. It's a and copy of a copy. It co- yeah, and exactly. And that's really interesting to me. And that's happened to me. I've written songs that were supposed to be something, and then it comes out totally different. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll take it, because <laughs> then it's like more original. Yeah. So I never would have thought Roy Orbison on its own. And it ties together with what Linnell says, and this is on also on the TMBW page. But Linnell said, um, and this quote was new to me, This song was an odd thing which came together in the studio and was very different and kind of beautiful and rare. It was the result of John and I collaborating in the studio, going back and forth, giving each other material, and it was unlike anything we had recorded before. That's like big words for this song, which they haven't talked a lot about. But when you listen to the arrangement, it's very, and it's kind of got like that bass clarinet thing, and there's like a little accordion thing. A woman's voice on the radio. So yeah, there's no bass except for the bass clarinet thing. I think it's a bass clarinet. I could be wrong. I'm offended. There's no bass. <laughs> yeah, Dave is a bass player. So I hate the, the doors. The accordion. I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the accordion on this album, but this song is really the highlight of it. The accordion is seen as like a funny instrument. But it's so sweet sounding. Like it's only funny if you're playing like klezmer, like, yeah, polka, or polka. Yeah. and they did that once and get over it, right? Oh, People, shit. right? No, because it's like even in the publicity photos where they're holding the accordion, it's always kind of in. A, it's almost like a prop gag. Yeah, I don't know when it became like a nerd instrument. I don't know why either, because when you listen to "Piece of Dirt," there is it's it's the effect is the opposite of humor, which is that it's. Whoa guy screaming outside of our window if that's audible i'm gonna leave it in because <laughs> it was scary that's where your eyes don't Dave, go was, was that your wife wanting you to come home <laughs> her voice is a little deeper okay um so wow that made me lose my train of thought <laughs> the accordion in piece of dirt i just wanted to finish that thought is that it's it's extremely it's almost it's soulful and sentimental and sweet sounding and it's 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 very it's like a it's like a breathy soft it's like a cloud you know what i mean <laughs> and and we should mention in the earlier years booklet see dave was supposed to bring it but he didn't bring it it's okay dave had a long day you son of a bitch but uh luckily for for you guys i mostly memorized then <laughs> the earlier years booklet because i used to carry it with me to school and read it all the time oi and one thing they said about this song dave i don't know if you remember this is that as a joke Bill Krause, the producer, replaced all of the drum sounds with like clicks and clacks. Right. I do. I meant that. to throw them off. Yeah. And they instantly realized it was a huge improvement. And it's like, wow. The idea that that wasn't on purpose is so fascinating to me. And it kind of flies in the face of, you know, there's a lot of things. I've, there's You'll see a lot of like annoying Twitter people or like Reddit people be like, I don't know. Let's say they're talking about Lost or something or Breaking Bad. They'll just be like, oh, they didn't plan it in advance. It doesn't count. Like that thing they did in an episode was they thought of it that for that time. They mm-hmm. didn't plan that out a year ago or this. I see this a lot. I see this a lot in the Twin Peaks Reddit where people are just like, oh, that idea David Lynch had on the set. So it's just not a real part I of it. I see what you mean. It's like it's it, it doesn't count in the continuity because it wasn't. Yeah, pe- people think that for some reason, people think that the more recent an idea, the less it counts, which is like insane. 
So I've never understood that. I guess or that I could, ideas can't change. Yeah, or evolve, or or be or yeah. be thrown away at the last second and replaced by something different. Sometimes shit don't work. Yeah. So Son. so that sort of is my point: is that the the clicks and clacks you hear it, and you're like, yeah, it's always supposed to have been this, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a. It was like a prank <laughs> it was bill bill kraus being a prankster the way things are supposed to be is always the way they will be <laughs> <laughs> okay so a few things i want to talk about piece of dirt talk about connecting things dave a woman's voice on the telephone will convince you you're alone i don't want the world oh shit i just want your half it never occurred to me until today connecting that and again not saying they're doing it on purpose, but I love when things come together like that. I love when things tie together in ways that are unexpected by the artists even. It's just like it bookends almost. I mean, I know it's not the last song on that side, but it, it feels right. It feels really right. I actually I have a weird poignant memory of Daniel saying that that line, a woman's voice on the radio will continue, blah, blah, blah. I remember him being like, it's so true. <laughs> I don't, hmm. I'm not sure what is something happened to him, <laughs> but he seemed to really take to that line. Maybe he'll hear this. And, and that a woman's voice on the telephone. Can, yeah. Can, he's or like, a woman's voice on the radio. He just said it was love. one of his favorite lyrics and that he really, it really resonated for yeah. him. And I, I'm, I'm sure he knows what I'm talking about. Well, I think if you always feel alone, <laughs> like Daniel does. Um, I, well, I meant like me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't possibly distinguish when um, you feel more alone. <laughs> One thing I wanted to to bring it back to Roy Orbison and to bring it back to what we talked about in the last episode. Now, Dave, remember what I was talking about last episode with the reanimated Lincoln Disney zombie robot? Yes. Putting words in the, the mouths of a dead person and how how ethically questionable that is. Yes, love it. Well, when I was searching for Roy Orbison songs to compare to Piece of Dirt, I found something that I think you will take a lot of uh, joy in. Roy Orbison, the hologram oh, tour. And this is exactly what I was talking about. So check this out. This is Roy Orbison's son explaining why they're reanimating Roy Orbison to not let him rest in peace and to go out and perform for his fans. My dad will be a hologram and then behind them will be a core band of, you know, drums, bass and guitar and that stuff. The hologram tour. And let's play Dave a clip of the... Uh... How eerie is that, huh? It's like a ghostly... I don't like that It's at a all. ghostly hologram of Roy Orbison performing for an a eager audience. This is exactly what I was talking about. This is what my stupid poem was about. Fucking Black Interesting. Mirror. It is weird, though, that it came up as I was... I found found that to be like a good... Like a sign, like, you're, you're doing God's a, work. <laughs> there's no mistakes, Jordan. There's no mistakes. Except all the stuff we edit out. The other stuff about Piece of Dirt, I mean, just more, it also has that kind of auto-harpish sound in the second verse, that ding Now, it almost sounds fake, like a fake auto-harp yeah. sound, but it is still the same uh, tone of that, you know, that kind of chiming, pretty sound. One thing in the lyrics that I just started thinking of in a new way, so the line, at the very last line of the song, I wish that I could jump out of my skin, um, you know, there's a few ways to look at that line. Uh, I, I think when I was younger, I thought of it literally <laughs> like a yeah, skeleton, kind of like nothing's going to change my clothes vibe of just like a skeleton being like, well, that is pretty I'm looney tunes also. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned briefly, like I was trying to get into like meditation and mindfulness 
And part of the theories behind that is that you're not, you're kind of, your consciousness is kind of driving your body like a car, right? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're. <laughs> I was just trying to leave my body right there. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of what happens when I talk and someone's listening. But yeah. uh, and it's like that you're kind of detached from your body. It's that there's two things: there's your mind, and then there's your body. And that uh, people, uh, I think most people feel like they're not. They feel that separation. They feel like y- your mind is kind of trapped. And it's almost like this attic and you're kind of looking out the window of your right. eye, your eye sockets, you know, driving your body around the car. So, so lately it's felt kind of like a mindfulness thing when I think of that line. So want to jump out of your skin is just like, I'm not comfortable in my skin. I'm not happy <laughs> in my, you know, the way I am. It could be the skeleton thing, but it also could be like, I wish I could just be like a mind and not have to worry, right? Yeah. About the physical part of life. It's funny because I'm going kind of through the same thing now as well and trying to be aware of yeah. when my girlfriend's doing it too. Everyone's doing it. It's the new thing. <laughs> when something, uh, when outside sensory affects you to understand why it's affecting you to have the reaction that will best benefit you. Like take a breath and it's, yeah. think of these things outside of yourself and go, well, I'm not in my body right now. My mind is is clear and focused. I'm not freaking out. It could be even reacting to something in yourself. Like if you feel nausea, right? You can kind of, mindfulness can help you um, detach from the nausea, which I, I do all the time because I'm often nauseous. Yeah. I, I guess it's weird, but I, I lately that yeah, line It's not is, weird. I try to do that at the dentist. <laughs> yeah doesn't work the, the dentist just slaps you face like Oop, stay with me here yeah <laughs> they don't like that yeah it's like i'm trying to cause you pain dentists are, are monsters the least you could do is appreciate how much pain you're in the other thing about this song i was listening to some early live shows and to like the early times that they played this song and in, in one of them flansburg says so anyway back to the music uh this song was written by uh, jimmy swaggart's campaign manager and it's called piece of dirt do you know who jimmy swaggart is dave no i didn't either but so right around it's not related to jimmy stewart right no (laughs) i know him so jimmy swaggart is a is one of those tv minister people (laughs) Uh yeah (laughs) televangelist people he had a weekly show uh a study in the word Anyway, what the Wikipedia says, <laughs> sexual scandals with prostitutes in the late 80s <laughs> uh, led the Assemblies of God to defrock him. Now, Dave, have you ever been defrocked? <laughs> That's a stressful experience. Uh, but anyway, so sorry. I, do I, think, I do think it's interesting. I mean, look, it might just be a throwaway joke, Flansburg being like, or this song is about yeah. Jimmy Swaggart, which must have been just right in the news in the late 80s yeah. from this when this show I was listening to is from. And so, but doesn't that, does that beg the question to you? Like, is the narrator in the song like a total scumbag <laughs> or was he just being like, I just read this in the newspaper right. and I'm just going to make a joke. I don't know. I, I could see it going either way. Yeah. I mean, it's a little upsetting because I always re- felt connected to the narrator. Right. You think it's about like a charlatan, like someone who comes to town and, and uh, tries to build a monorail. It's kind of around like, like dirt bike, right. Or something like yeah. that. That's not really what I was thinking. I was thinking just just the general, maybe if you take morality out of it, but it's about like someone who just has have, have had everything stripped away. And maybe at the time, Jimmy Swaggart's empire was crumbling and maybe that's why he said it, right? Yeah. It's just about someone who's, you know, all they have left is, is a piece of dirt. <laughs> and so I relate to it. Yeah. So, that's all I got. Yeah. If you go into Dave's apartment, there's these like little clumps little of dirt on the of floor. Dirt. 
<laughs> Actually, Dave's apartment is like the cleanest apartment I've ever consistently seen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Dave's a clean guy. So is my wife too. So, I mean, if we're going to point it out, might as well give her credit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. So we're clean people, folks. <laughs> you heard it here first. So that's all I wanted to, I wanted to maybe ponder that, uh, that banter. And if it, we could, it could help untangle the song a little bit, but maybe not. <laughs> So the narrator in this song is afraid of someone named me. Whoa. And the next song is Mr. Me, which always kind of confused me because Mr. Me sounds like a funny, fun guy. <laughs> Mr. Me is, we're going to learn that Mr. Me is not a fun guy. But but not just that, Dave. This is what makes my head spin. He's not just saying a spooky man named me and then right on its tail is Mr. Me. He's also a sailor. Right. Piece of dirt man. Let's call him. Let's call him dirt, dirt man. Dirt man. And I wonder if he knows filthy scarecrow. But uh, dirt man has is a sailor. They revoked his sailor's badge. Mister Me is a sailor. Yeah. He talks about sailing in the misty sea. Yeah. Again, I love this album. It's like you can just kind of like leapfrog from one song to the next. They go right into each other in really subtle, interesting ways. I think uh, Mister Dirt. D- uh, dirt man. Dirt man. Get it right. Was maybe like the second mate. To Mr. Me. Yeah. And they yeah. got into some kind of argument or something and he he kicked him off. And that's why all he has is this piece of dirt. Yeah, that's exactly. Wow, we can create we can craft a whole story here. So uh let's let's go into the spooky man named me. I floundered in the misty sea, but can't abide its mystery. I wound up sad, you bet. Okay, Mr. Me, Dave. <laughs> I have a theory that you can't be sad listening to this song. Yeah, <laughs> it is weirdly true. Though I think I think I used to, you know, once you get past, once you get used to the They Might Be Giant sound, you can connect on an emotional level, even if the, the fun sound of it. I, I remember feeling kind of self-pitying hearing this song. Piece of Dirt and this back-to-back. I mean, they're both kind of like sad sack (laughs) kind of songs, right? Well, it's funny that he says ended up sad so much, but it's such an upbeat song. That is funny. (laughs) They're funny guys. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just say this is like one of my all-time favorite songs also. A lot of songs on Lincoln are. Yeah, mine too. Um, That's why it's such a really great album. A lot of of them happen to be Linnell songs. A lot of them happen to be Linnell. The Piece of Dirt is is up there too with it. Yeah. But so yeah, they're really not holding back songs for the... I know they had Letterbox around this time, and I know they had the song They Might Be Giants, right? Because that's on their demo. They've had demos of it. But they really weren't holding back like all their best songs, I feel. It's it's interesting how, whereas some albums have like some weird little rant, this one to me feels front to back. It's almost like a greatest hits, except (laughs) it's your second album. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just in terms of the quality level, I mean, I love Mr. Me. It has, a again, that you know, Linnell melody, just mind-blowingly. I don't know if complex is the right word, but it's just, it's it's so fun. Jesus, that's, that's the word. <laughs> just fun as hell to sing the words, the, the way that it's almost like kind of a, 
you know, a folk tale kind of song. This song also kind of has that kind of folky quality his, to it. Uh, his lyrical dexterity in this song is very impressive. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like his Cowtown verse in a way. We can at least say that it's about someone trying, I guess, trying and failing. <laughs> you think that's like a good summary of it? It's like some, it's like Mr. Me. And it's funny to say Mr. Me as, yeah. as a character. It's obviously the the point of that is that it's the person singing, right? Yeah. Mr. Me, like he tried to figure out a mystery of, of the sea or just the sea could be a metaphor for the for everything. Woman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know. No, don't great. they say the sea is like a woman? They do, they do say. I don't know who they is. He winds up sad and that that's it. I mean, what's the moral? <laughs> the moral of the story, I guess, well, I like that in the, the third verse, he said, take the hand of Mr. Me and Mr. Make him glad. It's like, you have a job to do, Dave. <laughs> you want me to cheer someone you, you, up? Yeah. <laughs> that's you a out of your order. mind. <laughs> Son, are you out of your mind? So take the hand of Mr. Me and Mr. Make him glad. To swim the Mr. Misty Sea and cease the Mr. Mystery that Mr. Made him sad. So, but he's saying you should all, we should all swim the mystery sea that <laughs> made him sad and, and maybe we should all be sad. I mean, it kind of is almost like the, their main thread that they talk about a lot, which is we should all experience these things that scare us and sad and sad us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think they should play this one uh, back to back with why must I be sad? Yeah, that would be great. I, oh, that's a great idea. It's a sad theme. I, and, and with a sad sack. I really, yeah, and with, with Withered Hope, yeah. that's a good idea. I will say this, Dave, I spent way too long Googling Edward Hope. I, yeah, I saw on the Twitter I there. posted that on the Twitter. <laughs> it was not even a joke. I really was trying to see if, is there some untapped reference here? Is there an Edward Hope? Man, here. And what'd you come up with? Here, Dave. Did you end up sad? I ended up sad. I ended up really, really sad because I tried to figure out Edward Ho. There's, there's some Asian man. <laughs> the only Wikipedia for Edward Ho is that Edward Ho Sing Tin is a Hong Kong politician and architect. Now he's he's born he was born in the 30s they could have been referencing him <laughs> I have no clue I, I think you got it I think I got it I I was he he was appointed general committee of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Society I mean look maybe I mm. I did, <laughs> Okay okay all right let, let me let me try a few more <laughs> Um, what else you got? <laughs> they probably weren't referencing him. I wish I knew. Maybe it's no. Maybe it's nothing. I mean, it could be a reference to nothing. I was surprised. I thought Edward Ho would bring up some sort of old folk story yeah, or some old sea. Chanty. Doesn't it sound like that? I even googled like Edward Ho Sea yeah. Ocean Pirate. You got nothing. If you know who Edward Ho is. We should mention in this episode. Oh yeah, email. Which we haven't mentioned we yet. We do have an email. Email us at don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Embrace our tweets. And we have a new Twitter. It won't be new anymore, but by the time this is up, but well, new in the general the, the wide scheme of Twitter. You know, in the scheme of the world is five billion years old. Yeah. It's pretty new. It's pretty new. Uh, that's at <laughs> Don't Let's Pod. Don't Let's Pod. There you go. Add us and follow us. Oh, and also we should point out that if anybody wants to rate us or review us on iTunes. Yeah, if you're listening uh, on your phone right now. Appreciate it. A five-star rating. Uh, Give- obviously, that's preferred. <laughs> 
I think that's the most stars. How about this? Don't rate us if <laughs> it's not five stars, because why? What good does that do us? But no, I mean, and, and seriously, um, it really helps us out because it just makes us look good, and yeah. we we work we work very hard on on these things. So if you are so inclined. We would be forever grateful. So this also might be a potential coffee reference. I remember in the old FAQ, which I'll mention many times because that thing, I used to read that over and over when I was in high school and stuff. Mr. Misty is a, a coffee making machine. No idea. Well, did you Google it? I didn't because I just knew it, but I'll food of the 80s. <laughs> Dairy Queen. Oh, a slush puppy. No, that's not what I meant. So what we've discovered here is Mr. Misty might be, <laughs> might be a reference to a Dairy Queen slushy machine. From the 80s, I mean, it, it all lines up. It fits. Or it might be nothing. Do you think the song is about someone who went to Dairy Queen <laughs> and had a Mr. Misty slushy and ended up very sad? Could be possible, Jordan. Your guess is as good as mine. Let's talk about some of the music, you know, the arrangement. I used to be really into the uh, the percussion of this song, the the strange pattern of the percussion. And you think you know what I'm, what I'm yeah, saying. It's funny because I like, still remember this conversation. Yeah, because it goes like dip, 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 dip. <laughs> it's kind of like that weird stop and start interesting pattern. And then there's the little ding ding. There's a little accent at the end of each measure, and then on the last measure, there's none. And Flansburg's guitar does that and, too. Yeah, yeah. Does a slide a up slide. and goes boop. And then on the last one, it goes boop. <laughs> and I, I it always. gave up. It got sad. Yeah. So on we're going, Edward. Oh, into the bounding main. Enjoy the show. Look out below, but mind the misty sea. That's kind of like what we talked about with Don't Let's Start. Like, I think that's Flansburg's contribution to it, possibly. Uh, is that slide and the, the the rhythm of it. And Flansburg, I, I do think, you know, this isn't confirmed, but I, I always get the feeling he's more hands-on with the drum machine stuff. Mm. I could be wrong, though, but it's just he, he talks about it a lot. In he interviews. talks about programming beats. I actually just read an interview like yesterday where he talks about how much it was the uh, Sam Ash interview where he talks yeah, that was good. about all these uh, beats and you know drum machines and yeah. stuff he likes to program. Uh, so, and Linnell mostly talks about like photography. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like Flansburg Riding his bike. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I would guess that he's, he does that a lot of that stuff. So I really love the percussion in, in Mr. Me. It's, it's one of my favorite things. When I was in high school, I was going to post this to Twitter. I, I storyboarded a music video I wanted to shoot for this song. Really? Yeah. And it was a good idea. If I do say so myself, <laughs> I, I imagined it being like almost kind of like a, not a puppet show in the with puppets, but like with um like popsicles, mm. like a man, like a sailor. The Mister Me would be like a popsicle man with a little paper sailor hat, and it would kind of be like you know like a fake ocean made out of paper. I could see it. Yeah, and it would be like he has his own stage, and he's like perform like on his adventure, kind of like showing kids like this old this old tale of Mister Me right. in a school auditorium. I I see that too. Yeah, I always thought that'd be a really a good one. Well, this whole story seems like a folktale. Yeah, but it's a folktale. Like, what's the point <laughs> of well, it? What's the point of anything? I guess, tale? like we said, it's, it's about just being sad and like, all right, that's it. <laughs> You're sad. Sort of like life. They should have called this album. It's a lot like life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> better than Lincoln Calling, I guess. This song also has that snare sound. That's like kind of a gentle snare sound. It's like it's not in your face. But yeah, that's Mister Me. I mean. Look, I, I love the song. It's it's one of my all-time favorites. And they did bring it back live for a while and really was like ending shows with it, which to me means I think they get that it's one of the best songs. It's a top 10 for me. I think I'd be interested in maybe we can do an episode where we both reveal our top 10 songs to each other. 
Dave, I do. <laughs> that would be wonderful. And bottom 10. And yeah, well, uh, no comment yet. But so we can move on. You know, this is, this is going long. Let's go to track nine, the end of side one. And it's, and what and a, the end of the world. What a bombastic ending it is. Yeah. Uh, pencil rain. The possible dream Finale of scene The moment that some call eternal That some call insane So Jordan, this is actually one of my favorite songs. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is going to be crazy. This is one of my least favorite songs. Oh, great. Ah, it's ah, good. Why don't you get ah. the fuck out of my ah, house? Bill Burr. Ah. <laughs> ah, what are you going to do? So, well, Dave, why is, tell me all about why it's one of your favorite songs. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. Maybe it's a surprise to some uh, listeners. This is a song about war. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a way um, to look at it. <laughs> Probably. Well, Pencil Rain... Yeah, I was going to... I had a questions about that for you. Really? Yeah. Let's say if this song is about war, first of all, I like exploring first person perspectives uh, mm. in a war atmosphere. I like songs like that. I like movies like that. Inherently dramatic. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it said under my yearbook. Uh, <laughs> inherently dramatic. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I kind of like the drama in this song. It's a dramatic song more than it's, it's yeah. what's funny to me is it's a very cinematic song and yes, the sound of it. Right. And exactly. they used to say in their, some of, so the, the earliest full bootlegs that fans have are from these like Atlanta, Georgia shows from like 87. I wish we had earlier, you know, there's hints of earlier stuff, but in a lot of these early shows, when they're about to play pencil rain, they say, this is the theme song for our film pencil rain. <laughs> uh, this song, is the love theme from the movie Pencil Rain, and it's entitled Pencil Rain. And then when they play other songs, various songs will be like, this is the hate theme from Pencil Rain. Interesting. So uh, the next song that we're going to perform for you is called Purple Toupee. It's the hate theme from our movie Pencil Rain. (laughs) So it was a running joke in the set that Pencil Rain was like a movie (laughs) I could see that. And maybe there's more, like if there were more bootlegs, maybe there's more to this joke that we're just not uh, privy to. But yeah, it's this dramatic, cinematic, intense song. I just picture like Full Metal Jacket or something with this song. So Dave, maybe you can help me out here. This is what I wanted to ask you. And maybe someone out there can help me. Yeah, someone who's less tired. Did John Linnell invent the term pencil rain? I don't think so. Okay. I didn't think so because I had memories in my head of a movie mm-hmm. or a TV show that took place at war with a character called Pencil Rain. No, <laughs> with a character saying something like, "When those pencil rains come down, mm-hmm. and you're right, and you're you're in the dark, and you're in the shit." Right? I spent like an hour googling Pencil yeah. Rain minus they might be any they might be giants reference. You know, you can do that in Google. You mm-hmm. can put a minus in front of a. I didn't in front know of a, yeah, You can. You could put a minus in front of a term and it will leave nothing. Gee, nothing comes up. People, you no. just got a great Google tip. <laughs> <laughs> great Google. This has been great Google, Google tips. Great Google tips. So nothing comes up. I've tried movie quote, pencil rain, TV quote. When that pencil rain, like 
this quote is in my head. Yeah. So what I don't understand is, is this, and I tried Googling pencil rain, war, slang, mm-hmm. right? Uh, lead, pencil, bullets. I mean, that's where we're going with this, right? Everything that comes up is they might be giants. Everything, fan stuff, they might be giants. So, so I think what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, yes. is that perhaps this term started with, with they might be giants. Mr. John Linnell. And that is this movie that I'm remembering referencing, they might be giants. Is this like a Mandela effect happening? Yeah. Well, so is this where your eyes don't does, go? I tried, I thought maybe, was it like a Mr. Show sketch? Was it a comedy sketch mm. that was at a war thing? If anyone out there knows what the hell I'm talking about, it's a legitimate thing. It's because yeah. I remember when I saw that, I went, oh, so yeah, it's, it's, he didn't make that up. It's, but now I can't find it. Well, what's even stranger is like, I'm agreeing with you that it didn't come from them. So how did it we both feels, get that? Yeah, it feels like a, a term, but that exists. Um, maybe it was Kubrick. I, tr- I looked it up. I, I tried all these different quotes, maybe. But why can't you find it any? You think that's, I mean, war is a big topic. You know why you can't find it? They're, they covered it up. Yeah. Like the aliens. <laughs> I wish we had a video camera. <laughs> so, yeah. The, so, the faces. So this song, I mean, look, Dave, you're adamant. You, this is like strictly a war song, right? Yes. <laughs> I just casted some doubt. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying like, is part of the humor of the song that it is supposed to be a joke about pencils falling like or a movie set. Yeah. Or a movie thing. Um, almost everyone seems to look at this song and be like, I mean, this is like what I said about the just cryptic enough lyrics like Anna Ng and purple Dupay. It's like, yeah, this song's about war. It seems easy to, to get that from the lyrics. Well, the Morse code and everything. Morse code. So someone in the the old mailing list used to say that the drum pattern is SOS, but I looked up the Morse code for SOS and it's totally not yeah. myth debunked. I'm sorry. Shit. So yeah, the doesn't say on the wiki what it is. No, it, it, um, well, I'm talking about the drums. So the, the drum beat. Someone had said that's also someone had taken the Morse code hint as like a way of Oh, maybe what if that's Morse code and being like, it's SOS. And for, I believe that for years, I hear you for years. I believe that that was SOS and I found a YouTube clip of SOS and it's not that. Now here's the other thing about this song, Dave, there is Morse code in the bridge during the guitar, which what I would consider the real first guitar solo on a They Might Be Dying's album. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Um, hmm. Is that a solo? So here's why. I think having your first guitar solo, it kind of fits the macho thing of war, right? Right. It's a very manly, like bombastic, manly, exuberant, like, look how rocking I am. And it's it's like, I I was going to say, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just the following the vocal melody, but it is still, it is, it, it, it it kind of is taking the place of a solo in a song, which is that you've got, it has pick scrapes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, And you've got the verse music with a guitar over it. Right. Whereas most of their songs don't have a break for the guitar to do something. Right. I'll allow it. It's more, it's more in the, the arrangement of the song. 
Though I, I was wondering if Hotel Detective that is a solo that we mentioned last time. Oh yeah, but I don't know if that's a solo because it's broken up by a couple by yeah. different things. Whereas this is the part in Pencil Rain. The bridge is really a showcase. It's like we here's, should run a Twitter poll. Here's the blazing of the most boring Twitter. Poll. <laughs> here's a blazing guitar solo, and under that guitar solo is Morse code. <laughs> under that guitar solo is Morse code. Yeah. So now the Wikipedia and the old the old FAQ and all the old things used to claim that the Morse code in the song is I I I, I canto y no llores, which is sing and don't cry in Spanish from the Spanish song Cielito Lindo. Who the hell found that out and how do we know that's true? It's the Morse code, not to be like super skeptical. The Morse code is buried under tons of crap. It sounds like it's layered, like mm-hmm. there's multiple Morse codes. It's like doubled and tripled on top of each other. How would anyone translate that? And who translated it? And what is the source? Mr. Wiki, what is the source of uh, this fact? I don't know if it's true, honestly. I'm, Do any I'm gonna, of these have footnotes? No, there's no footnote for that. And I remember the old the old FAQ just said it. And I said, oh, yeah. And I used to tell people. Remember everyone I would yeah. meet that I got into, they went giants. I'd be like, oh, it's sing and don't cry. And it's. The idea is don't cry because it's like rain is like crying. It's like, okay, so here's the thing. Someone asked Flansburg once, uh, what's the Morse code? Is, is it really the, the Spanish song? And he said, I don't remember, but I doubt it was Spanish. It was hard enough getting a Morse code translation. <laughs> well, so you're saying if pencil rain can't be backed up as being uh, from an old whatever you call it, then how can this be backed up? Are oh, you yeah, saying yeah. this whole song is fake? I'm saying this. I'm saying we're people. <laughs> there is a lot of doubts. There's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of questions. This is a scary episode of our podcast. Yeah. So look, if anyone has any confirmation that it actually says that, I, I want it. I mean, look, I want it any, to say that. Any Morse code experts yeah, out there? There probably is. If you're, they might be Giants fan. <laughs> I, I always thought it was really, you know, cool idea. Um, also, the Wikipedia says the song's title is a parody of the title Prince's Purple Rain, popular around the time. Or I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, and that fits with Purple Toupee. The, the, you know, that's another thing that connects one song to another. And again, the song, not that war is a, only an American thing, but the, the, the sound of the song sounds very American Hollywood, like we said. Yeah. Very like um, what American war kind of sounds like. So this this really does fit, and it is a, it is a you know what do you think about it as like a ending of side one? Well, that it's funny because in doing these uh, reviews of the albums in side one, side two, I'm actually for the first time looking at what songs end yeah. each side. This is a great way to end side one. I mean, with you know this feeling of doom and dread and uh, bomb bombasticity. It is a scary that's a song, and I mean it's. It's a scary song, and and even just taking aside all that other stuff we just talked about, the thunderous clatter of splintering wood. I mean, I do think part of the joke is that it's he's acting like his literal pencils. See, I thought yeah. the joke was that he was taking a wartime slang that people knew mm-hmm. and making it literal, which he's done in other songs. Sure. He's done songs like that. But so now I just don't even know at this point. What do you think of looking out for number two? Huh? Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Do you think he thinks that's funny? I don't know. Maybe. Um... I just wanted to talk, you know, we're going to wrap this up, but I just wanted to talk a little about the music. You've got the auto harp. I think you've got two of them, right? Like panned. So there's a lot of auto harp again in this song. I think it's interesting that the horns are very, very synth and very fake, fake sounding. Yeah. 
You think indicating maybe again that it might not be about it almost gives like the absolutely bills mood thing of like this is all in someone's head or something yeah. when something is so fake it feels like it's um it, it almost does feel like a hollywood production they're searching the yonder blue they look out for number two the herald Funny, the more we're talking about it, for some reason, this is the first time ever I thought about this. This seems like it's a movie about war. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, if you were to have real horns, you'd just be like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, but that the, Calvary's coming. Yeah, but the, the fake horns are, are amusing sounding. And it I really do think that's a big part of it. Because I, I don't know if they didn't have the resources. Like, do you think if, so here's my question. Do you think at the time if... If they're Bill Krauss or someone was like, oh, we got we got three horn players here for you for this song or one or whatever. Do you think they would have been like, no, the whole point? Yeah. Or do you yeah. think they would have been like, oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> I think they want, well, first of all, they could have made them sound less fake anyway. Yeah, there are ways. Yeah. Because they sound very intentionally yeah. fake. <laughs> I I don't know, man. I think they wanted it to be fake. Yeah, it gives, it gives off that Hollywood, that feel. So, you know, honestly, I started this by saying it's not one of my favorites, but this is actually making me <laughs> appreciate more. And when I say not one of my favorites, I mean, like, Lincoln is an amazing album. It's just, it's not as sweet sounding, right, as the other yeah. songs on Lincoln. It's it's a little harsh and a little scary. So it always, it's almost like a, it's like a dirge, right? When so, we saw them uh, live, when they did the Lincoln show, they they opened with this. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah that's an that? interesting opener. Yeah. It really wakes you up. <laughs> I did like it live. It is was pretty fun live. Flansburg, I remember, like really rocking out. I think an important r- reference in this song, though, is, and, and the wiki talks about this, but it's the first line, the possible dream, is a reference to the phrase, the impossible dream, which is from Man of La Mancha, which is the musical version of Don Quixote, which is where the phrase, right. they might be giants, originates. Don Quixote. Yeah, that's the, thank you, Dave. The correct pronunciation. So that's that's pretty important. It's happened a couple times in their career where they, they kind of tie things back, all the way back to that, you know. To the name. To the name. Yeah, yeah and, to, and to Don Quixote. And I, I think uh, that's that kind of makes me happy that they're like, they're not just like, oh, it's just a name, whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're really being like, no, we're, there's things in this name that we're still exploring and, and talking about. I should read that. Yeah, I probably should too, especially as a fan of They Might Be Giants. Um, I have seen the, I've seen Lost in La Mancha, which is the documentary about Terry Gilliam. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I went to a screening of it. Yeah, I wasn't that fancy. I saw it on... Mm-hmm. It was fun at a screening because it was just the, the audience kind of laughing at Terry Gilliam's problems. I guess yeah. it was a little mean in a way, but it's kind of funny. But I know he's almost done with the actual movie finally. Or he is done. It's screened. Can't wait. I really want to see that. And it'd be... I don't know if the line if the line is in the movie, they might be giants. Woo! It'd almost be kind of strange at this point because the band has... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you think more people know from the band than from the the you know the literary uh, origins i couldn't tell you the the stats on how many people read these days <laughs> that's that's kind of what i'm not i'm not yeah. trying to imply versus, well, I but guess versus I am. how many people know they might be giants yeah it, it feels like at least maybe younger generations were more familiar because of like the kids albums and you know malcolm in the middle and yeah. stuff like that than like oh yeah what from man and just in general i always wonder what the world at large thinks or has the opinion on of uh, they might be giants. Um, yeah, the the general vibe I get is that I don't know cuz 
I know really cool people like them. Hey, guys. Yeah, we know cool, attractive people like them, but what are the rest of the society things? <laughs> yeah, because like I, you know, even telling people about this podcast, for example, you mm-hmm. know, like close friends or whatever, I'm like, do you do you know them? Like, do you? Yeah. What, how, or what Dave, do you know what's been them? your experience telling? Because you mentioned to me that you were you were like at a party or something, right? Or was it your job? And you mentioned that you do this. Well, I've been telling everyone. Yeah. <laughs> This is Dave's like, like the Paul Revere of yeah it's it's kind of split down the middle so it's surprising when some people are like oh shit that's my favorite band I remember I posted online and someone so another artist that I knew from back in the day mm. um, was like oh that's my favorite band yeah that isn't that crazy um, and it's like oh we could have like, to talk about and you don't <laughs> and you don't talk about it all the time like I would right. <laughs> I guess well in my younger years I would I've, de- I've definitely calmed down yeah. a lot we should we should have an episode that's more for non-fans and see kind of like you know like those videos like kids listen to nirvana for the first time i can't even in, indulge in that stuff because it makes me feel very old and very out of touch and very frustrated <laughs> a lot of posts on the facebook group kind of made me feel that there's a lot of people on the facebook group who are like 20 years younger than me well yeah there's that too and they'll be like when i was a baby i heard the else or something. Right. <laughs> i'll just be like goodbye mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just i i'm i can't handle it it's too crazy it's too too weird i try not to think about no, it just don't put it push it push it way down 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 into the pit of your stomach and that pain you feel in your stomach just just carry it with you yeah, always so wow it's okay so we we finally completed side one of lincoln over two <laughs> episodes a little insane maybe you be the judge we have a lot to talk about i mean look whatever you don't have to listen to this <laughs> who's forcing you so we will be back next week with side two i'm very excited about that a lot of very interesting songs on side two please contact us at don't let start podcast at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on twitter at don't let's pod. I'm going to be posting some relevant stuff that we talked about in this episode on our Twitter. It'll be fun. You'll all enjoy it. So until next time, enjoy the show. Look out below, but mind the misty sea. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Babies. Look under the sky.